Hey everybody, it's the moment we've all been waiting for. What's that? Oh, well, I was just saying that like a lot of people were waiting for this episode because we missed last week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We skipped, we, we had to skip a last week and we are back. And guess what? We're back for, um, I swear to junk, I'm not got episode 19 for the duct tape killer. Yay. Creepy. <laughs> Do you know anything about this? Probably not. Absolutely not a cool. goddamn thing. Fantastic. Perf. Which is, as we know, how I like it, how I enjoy it, and how I kind of need it at this point. Okay. I like the surprise. I think you need to touch some grass. Um, <laughs> I don't even really know what that means, to be totally honest. <laughs> Uh, so, um, but I will say a little unorganized because I don't have a drink for you. So figure it out. Um, drink whatever you want. I say grab a beer, grab an edible, grab a glass of wine if you want to keep Ooh, it nice and simple. Why? Beers are not fucking gross. First of all, huh. they are not Maybe gross. A summer shandy. Beer, beer is wonderful. You know what? There's a summer summer shandy called Three One Two made uh, uh from Goose Island. A summer shandy, and you buy that when you're going to the beach. You bring a bottle of tequila, and boom. There is your cocktail. I used to put shots of Terra Mana in the 312 Summer Shandy and the sweet vanilla notes of the Terra Mana just set the 312 Summer Shandy off. So. I can tell you that if I boop, did that boop. at the beach, I would 100% be swimming with the fishes. Okay. Like, I would not live. Luca Brazzi. I mean, but I will say that I... um. When I, I take it, I used to take it to like barbecues and shit because it was like a two pump chump. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's two ingredients. Yeah. I bring the shandy, I bring the tequila and they all have their own containers. So you kind of just pour them into cups and just, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like easy. Like, I would drink some of the shandy and then put a shot of the tequila in the can. Like, I do that with kombucha. Yeah, for sure. Like, I but used to. I this year, I have not had a single summer shandy. I haven't, I haven't either. I don't. I haven't had a Corona either. I'm okay Stella. with that. I love a Corona and a Stella. Not I want a margarita now. I wish we didn't have this conversation. I'm also like, it's almost my my food time. My food time. Yeah, because it's one thirty. Like I'm getting hungry, but it's almost my food time. <laughs> it's almost my food time. <laughs> like a toddler. <laughs> it's almost meal time. I do not eat before two. But I will say that my protein shake that mama had left her protein and it's better than the protein that I, I bought. You didn't like it. No, it was that was ladder that she gave me chocolate and I she keeps trying to push chocolate on you me. You don't like chocolate. And I told her I was like, I said, Ma, I stopped eating chocolate. I do not like the taste of chocolate. Actually, the only time I like I'm okay with like a chocolatey taste is if it's something that's red velvet. And that's gross. That's weird. But, but you know what? I don't that's like arti- fucking weird. I don't like artificially flavored chocolate. And low key, if you put a German chocolate cake in my face, love I'm going to eat chocolate. the fuck out of that. I do love a German chocolate. But because I think it's the mixture of coconut, coconut and, and chocolate. The, and the chocolate, yep. but also the nuts. Yeah. Even though I don't like coconut cuz I don't like shreds of Sound like Tammy, my mother. Yeah. Cuz she don't, don't like, coconut. like coconut. She don't like coconut. And she will let you know. Immediately. Even if you're not talking about anything coconut related, she, she will, will tell yeah. you. Yeah. It's kind of like how she I am with hot sauce where like when when I'm talking to somebody about food, I'm like I don't like hot sauce. I got to let everybody know that immediately. And I don't get that cuz like if ever if you've ever been to her house, mm-hmm. you will know she has not a single hot sauce. Nope. Not a single one. 
she even gave me the one that she had. I did. And, and actually, she's like, I, think, I don't want this shit in here. Her exact yeah, words. I don't want that shit in here. Don't and I, I low key, the there person. may be one bottle in there from when my ex lived here. And I and he bought this gargantuan bottle. And I don't know why I allow it to still sit in the Wasn't pantry. It like no, it was like some shit like some, it was like a Mexican restaurant. And they had, you know how they sell some they bottle their own. It was yeah. called like Caliente or some shit. And I was like. Ill. I mean, and honestly, it's this, too that hint of vinegar that comes from it just triggers me from preschool. I used to go. I, to, I used to go to this preschool called Lollipop over in West West Inglewood on Ashland, and the the preschool teachers. What are they called? Mm-hmm. What are they called in preschool? Teachers? Are they just teachers? Yeah, I don't teachers. remember learning shit. That's why I was saying. But, I mean, because you were a toddler? True, true, true. But when we would go down for nap time, these two <laughs> these two women would fucking eat their lunch. And there was one lady, whatever she cooked, she would always fucking drown in hot sauce. So while I'm trying to take my nap, <laughs> this bitch is flaming up the the whole room. I mean, the pungent smell. One, I didn't want to be there anyway, because you knew, you know, when I was little, I only wanted to be with granny. So I had no desire to be there anyway. So I think the association of like not wanting to be in day camp or not day camp in um, preschool, wanting to be with my grandmother and then having to endure this pungent smell during the only time that I feel like I had to myself in preschool. Because I was like, this is my fucking nap nap time. Okay. Two things. Yeah. Two. Yeah. One, there's some trauma there. Yeah, for sure. Two, it's funny you say that because the smell of hot sauce reminds me of when mama used to eat corned beef hash. Oh, I was about to say chitlins, but okay. No, luckily, I was I ran out of the house every time. <laughs> but whenever she, so my mama, she eats corned beef hash. And not only does corned beef hash already smell like fried ball sacks. Literally. But it smells like fried ball sacks with a little bit of vinegar on it. It's like the back of the ball sack, though. The one, the part of the ball that's like nearest the asshole. Yeah, that's what a little, (laughs) that marinates. It marinates, you know, it's like when a dude has gone to the gym and like, it's like the back of his balls. That's what corned beef has. That's what corned beef has. But then she would cook it at night. So then it would just like be it, in the house. It just, I would smell it in my sleep. See, that's what I'm saying. But I so now it's sauce. leaked into my. Well, yeah, because but you weren't at little, you were not at Lollipop. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, pr- I actually think I went to Lollipop after you briefly. Did. I think you did briefly. Yeah, I did. It, I think they're still open. I like, hated it, too. I mean, it was, you know, it was preschool shit. It wasn't like anybody was being abused. Like, I was always a good student and all of that. But, like, but now as an adult, I just hate the smell of it. So, I don't see, I I, I can't find the purpose in eating it. Because I'm like, if I don't like the smell of it, you know what I mean? Like, why would I eat it? it a little, a little razzle-dazzle. But I I put it on my chicken. But I could do that with hot salsa, though. Like, I could. But why would you put salsa on fried chicken? Oh, but see, that's what I'm saying. I only I only associate hot sauce with Mexican food. Oh, see, that's that's why. Yeah, because I don't eat it. I don't eat it. So I it would, I would never think of putting it on anything else. That's why I don't eat hot salsa. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I don't. I only eat Louisiana. See, that's the shit that she was eating. Which is what I don't understand because that's not Mexican. It's not. Yeah. This so, was just like that gift so, of like puffy and dude looking at each other. 
I don't know. I got like, nothing. Just stare down. Like, Mm-mm. okay, so now what? Yeah. I don't really, and, and to be quite frank, I don't remember what she was eating. Like, well, I'm sure I'm it was sure like it a black people meal. Black yeah. people meal? Yeah, what I'm pretty it? sure it was some black people shit. Watermelon? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she probably cooked some shit at home, and then, like, she likes hot sauce on her shit. Like, some people like hot sauce on their french fries. Some people like hot sauce in their greens. Some people, Mama you know. eats it on sardines, don't you? Oh, who? Mama. Oh my God! Yeah. But you know what? I think sorry, but sorry. Well, she grew up with a bunch of country niggas. But what I was about to say was, I think sardines also come prepackaged in hot sauce. Because you know how it comes but in like salt adds, water. First of all, Mama loves Louisiana. Mama, the not, place now probably. She probably doesn't now because she lives in the land of no flavor of food. Yeah, she's... And it's like, what, you gonna put hot sauce on fucking olive oil cake? No, Mm -mm. there's nothing to eat out there. And she would never dream of putting it on her beloved pan-seared salmon. Oh, God. Because I was like, if I hear pan-seared salmon... My mom's gone now. She was here for two months. If I hear pan-seared salmon one more time... Like, Tammy, love you to death, but babe... There's other fish. It took her a month (laughs) to get sick of salmon. And then she told me, she goes... I think I'm sick of salmon. Yeah. Mind you, she she was still eating it. Which was fascinating, too, because she was already sick of salmon. She had, she overdid the salmon during COVID, was sick of it to the point where she couldn't look at it, and then got desperate again and started eating it again. Now she's sick of it again. But then when I talked to her yesterday, because of course I talked to her for 10 hours, by the way. Yeah, I know, because I called you twice, and each time (sighs) you were still talking to her. Yes. And that was like a five hour span. Yes. There was a four hour call. Then there was a six hour separate call because my phone called like I had to hang up for some reason. I can't remember. But I ended up talking to her for 10 hours. You called her back or she called you back? I I call her back. And Uh, then, excuse me. And then one of these dudes that I've been like communicating with was like, can I call you in like 30 minutes? And I was like, no, no. Okay. I'll be straight up. 10 10 hours is like the end of my phone talk a meter. That's a long time. That's a long, that's a, that's longer than most people's shifts. Yeah, that's overtime. But me and you usually talk to her about six hours on the phone. That's yeah. the standard. But when me and you talk on the phone, is usually for maybe like four. Four, yeah. But I mean, four. that's also because you spent so much time with her while she was here. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, it makes sense. Yeah. I haven't spoken to her since she left. Yeah. Well, we just but talked I've to her yesterday. We just talked to her yesterday. Yeah, we we have, we just talked to her yesterday. Before that, I hadn't spoken to her except through text. Yeah. But I don't even think I truly I mean, but spoken she, to you either. But literally, she ain't even been gone a week. Has it not been? No, she left Thursday. Okay, one of the reasons why we did not record last week was because my mental was sure. all over the place. Yeah. And I realized that one of the reasons why I was sad was become was because mama was leaving. Yeah. And oh. I hadn't seen her in so long. And it was actually really It was like effective. separation anxiety. Yeah. That's it's cute. almost like how you immediately get emotional once you see somebody in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of immediately start crying. Yeah. I was just like sitting out there on the balcony talking to her and I'm like, she gotta leave. I know. And, and you know and me scrubbed down. I asked yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely asked her to stay if she wanted to, but she was just, I think she also, she kind of wanted to, I think she kind of wanted to go home because you know how mama is. She kind of starts to feel like she's being a nuisance, Which and, because honestly, she, she 
Definitely. She's she's, she's a she's, mother. She's, I was going to say, she's a mother. She wouldn't be a nuisance if she wasn't. Yeah. And then, but then I thought about it. I was like, I knew that Sal was coming back because she was staying at Sal's place. And I was like, oh God, she has to be in my be- my apartment for another month. That's not going to work for me. So when she was like, I didn't push it. No. You know, I so even if she wanted to stay for another couple of weeks, I would have been okay with that. But I don't know if I could have did like another two months. You know what I mean? Oh, plus, God, plus no. we were paying for her car to be parked. So yeah. that was the other thing. The thing is, Mama is hilarious when she's in the right mood. Yeah, it's got to be the but right when mood. When she gets hungry, or hungry. she's been in the sun for too long, she get she need a nap. She be needing a nap, and she'll say it too. She like it's time. It's for time a for a nap. And she, then five minutes later, she hates everything. Yeah, she she literally um is a baby. She she's eats. literally a baby, but she's so funny. She is funny as fuck, and she eats, and then she'll like. We'll be outside for a minute and then I, her meter will start to go down where like her social meter and you can tell because she'll start yawning a lot. And then she go, like, Ooh, I need a nap. And then once she says her first, mm, I need a nap. I'm like, we're in trouble now. This now we've but entered DEFCON 3. When she starts to sit down more, when she doesn't want to go in a store yep. and she's like, I'm going to just sit out here. I was like, yep, it's time for it. Yep. But then she walks in. Yeah. She sits outside for like five minutes. She's like, okay. Because she did that when we went to Mark Jacobs. Yeah. She was like, I'm going to just stay out store. Yeah, I was like. And, and then, then she, she came, came in. in. Yeah, yeah, she always comes in. Because yeah, A, she wants the air in. conditioning. B, she knows you. She knows you. <laughs> she was like, what y'all, y'all, y'all about to buy something? You saw she, Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Like, she wants to inject her opinion, too. Because she, she if, if it takes recharge. us. Well, sometimes they're like, if it takes us too long in a store. Yeah, she could be like, what the something. fuck are y'all doing in here? You know, then she'll come in. But she was just like, you know, she was vibing, though. Like, she really liked being here. Like, I talked to her extensively about um, she, she was like, if if I moved back, I was like, oh, this is cute. Go Excuse ahead. me? Go ahead. She was like, if I move back, where do you think I would live? Like, knowing who I am, like, where do you think I would live? That's so cute. Isn't it? I know. It's very cute how much she values your opinion. I think that's so precious. I mean, she does and she doesn't. Because sometimes she'll low-key just like, she just, sometimes she just wants to get the wisdom of the crowd, which I do a lot too. she just wants to read the room. Yeah, you kind of just, you're just like, you fuck with it, you fuck with it, you fuck with it. And then you may do something completely different. But she was just trying to see too, because I know the city. She was like, well, I need walkability. I need to be like, she's like, but I think I want to be close to the lake. If I did move back, I said, look, if you want to be close to the lake, that's that I say move further north. I was going to say, she's going to have to move north. Yeah. Even though I think mom would fare well in, in Hyde Park, I think, but the only thing that would irritate her in Hyde Park is that she would have to have an apartment with a parking spot. She couldn't do that circle in the drain shit. I don't think there's enough to do that. No, there's plenty for her to do because they've just built all that stuff on 53rd. Yeah, 53rd is cracking. So cracking. there's yoga studios and some everything yeah. else. And but she has the lake still. But the problem is there's not enough space. Yes. She, Mama doesn't like people to live above her. Yeah. She also is too many college students. It is. I, she I mentioned she that could, too. I can't even say she'd do Boys Town because Boys Town is too No, I, I told her, I said, honestly, because originally Park, I said... I told her, I said, I think Lincoln Park is better for you because Lincoln Park is a place 
where a lot of we used to before they were millennials, there were yuppies. Yuppies yeah. were like, you know, mama slash Tehran's generation, my uncle uh, generation, people like now who are leaning more towards their mid to late 50s who are established and they have children and mm-hmm. things like that. They enjoy their peace and their quiet. But I also told her this. I said every neighborhood in Chicago has its pocket where you don't have to be in the thick of it. Like right now, I live in the South Loop, technically, but I'm in a part of the South Loop that's so isolated that I'm not inundated by what's happening on Wabash or Michigan Avenue or State Street. But I'm so adjacent that I have access to it. Like I'm right there. Mm -hmm. I can go to what she, cause that's what she was saying. She wanted, she wanted to go to where everything was. She don't want to live where it all is. Cause even when she was staying at Sal's, she was saying that even though he's on like the 30th floor, she couldn't take hearing the ground noise all night because she said it was too loud. She was like, you, she said, but it's so because the sounds are bouncing off of the building. So Mm -hmm. what you hear is the siren. She kind of got used to that, but she was like, it's the people who decide they want to park and just like talk on the phone and have conversations on their speaker and their windows are down. She said, when you're sitting on the balcony and you vibing out late at night, you can hear all of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like none of that is quiet. So I told her, I was like, I think Lincoln Park would be better than that. Lincoln Park is expensive. But the good thing is, is she's a spinster. She's not married. She don't have any like kids that she would have to live with. In her head, she's like, I'd be fine with a one bedroom somewhere as long as I had access to walk. Yeah, she told me she'd take a studio too. But you know, I'm I'm against that. that. Yeah, I don't believe that. I was like, I don't even want a studio. Yeah, I was like, that's literally a bedroom with a kitchen in it. Yeah. So I think I think she could do Lincoln Park. Yeah, I told her Lincoln Park. I also before she told me she wanted lakefront access, I told her West Town. I was like, maybe you could do West Loop, you know, whatever. But I was like, but I think, you know, as long as you're where things are so people can reach you and so you can reach them and things like that, I think you would love being in Chicago. That's one of the reasons why I have been pressuring her to come here instead of her pressuring us to go there. Like we both lived in LA, so we know LA. I don't ever want to be there. But when she comes here, I'm trying to like, it's kind of like exposure therapy. I keep trying to expose her to different aspects because I live my life totally different than when we did, when we lived here before. You know what I mean? mean, So also you're grown now. Yeah, exactly. I'm almost 40. Like this is like a, so I'm trying to expose her just to a different, slowly but surely I'd let her do it at her own pace. But I think being here for two months yeah. Was in kind of like a, in the summer. Because just being here in the winter. Yes. Because she usually comes here. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all listening to us banter for 20 minutes. But she usually come here for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And, and we're usually right before New Year's. Yes. Mall, mall, mall. Back yeah. at the house. Mall, mall, mall. Back at the she house. Loves the, she loves the shopping in Chicago. Yeah. Like she'll do it just for cardio purposes. And yeah. And she'll just be walking out. around. But here she actually likes to see the clothes. Yeah. Because when she was younger, she was actually into clothes. Yeah. Like she would dress the fuck up. Oh. Like mama would get a fit off. Cuh. Easily. She was very much into into the, the two-piece suits. For sure. With the stacked boots. Yep. And like the big Long coats. With big coats. Like big coats. That's how that. I got. That's how I developed my obsession with coats was the when watching mama. Because mama used to, because you know me, I love a long coat. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, do you 
Do you still need that Ralph Lauren coat? Bitch, that coat don't fit. Okay, no, could you bring you. it back? Yeah, because I yeah. um, we just I ba- wore it open. Kira gain weight, I lose weight. I lose weight. She get. We keep bouncing around the same shit. Just like okay, okay, I lost weight this time. So, so you take the coat, so but you, it's always the coat. It's always because the coat. this coat is so fucking fire. And she got this coat, I think, from Marshall Fields. Yeah. When I was probably 10, 11. Yeah. And I remember then. Okay, so first of all. Yeah. It is a knee length. Red. Mama is 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, yeah. Even then, it goes calf length, actually. Yeah, it's calf length. It's wool. Yep. Hot red. Bright hot. Red. Like, like a flaming kind of hot nail red. polish the hoes used to wear in the fucking Straight 90s. up. Remember, like fire truck I, I'll, red. I'll mention this later. Gold okay. buttons. Yeah. Go buttons. Detail and get, you know what's wild about that coat? It's not quote unquote a Ralph Lauren it's a coat. Polo it's coat. a fucking polo coat. And it is the most fire it's fucking coat fire. I've seen in it's my life. It's bad. I, but I wasn't even talking about that coat. I was talking about my Ralph Lauren coat that I gave I you. Your, oh, the, the one from one? Halloween, the black oh. one. So you could bring both them back. I don't that think I'm going to ever be able to fit the red one though. You can probably fit it now to be honest. Yeah. It, I think it's like an eight. Oh, that's just that I ain't quite an age. Yeah. Yeah, it has zero stretch. The but oh and you you missed the piece de resistance. The gold the gold fucking the lining. The gold silk lining. <sighs> Metallic gold silk lining from shoulder to yep. knee. Yep. Stitched on the inside. Invisible stitch, by the way. Can't see Invisible. a single fucking thread. Can't see a single thread in the that bitch. Threads match. Perfect with the anchor buttons. The, the it's a sailboat buttons golden, with the fucking gold. The yo. rounded sailor buttons. G. Cuh. My God, just they thinking about they it, don't make world. well. Ralph Lauren still does, but the at type the price of shit. She got it at though, the price I think she got it on sale she, for of course two she something, did. three something, two something. Back then, that felt expensive. Nowadays, yeah. we spending five, six thousand dollars on coats. Because bitch, how much was that coat at the Ralph Lauren at the fucking Polo Outlet? That five hundred dollar coat that I wanted, was I was pissed. Higher, bitch. You think I still ain't eyeing it? Cause one thing about Ralph, he gonna make a fucking coat. He gonna make a coat. He gonna make. A he coat. gonna put. He gonna. He gonna sculpt the coat. This is yep. the thing about Ralph. Ralph Lawrence sculpts mm-hmm. coats, and you gotta decide whether or not your body fits into his art. Mm-hmm. He'll sell it to you all day. He gonna make it in your size. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a frame, cause see, Mama was like a buck ten back then. Yeah. That was after you. Yeah. You know what I mean? She had to be at least 110, 120 pounds. She slipped into that motherfucking coat, buttoned it up, got on that Metro to go to work. Er day, I was like, this heifer is a platform ankle boot. (laughs) Yeah. In a second. Yeah. And she was wearing two piece suits. Mm hmm. Sometimes she she had put on a color block. She had on that one lime green suit. She was holding Siri. Mm-hmm. Remember that picture? Yeah. Fly as hell. That was her Norma uh Norma Kamali. She oh. she used to watch she used to rock a lot of Norma Kamali and th- these are the type that's the type of shit that she would rock back in the 90s. You put mm-hmm. on some clip-on earrings cuz mama's fucking twisted bamboo clip yep. earrings. But the had? but see the thing is she had to have clip-on cuz mama's uh earlobes are uh they thin. They keep ripping. They, it ripped <laughs> once and then it ripped again. When she again. was a kid, she Somebody ripped her earrings out of her ear and mm-hmm. ripped her earlobe. And pulled she her She finally load. got them sold up when, when she was like, what, 30? Yeah, and then they pulled, I think and they. And then they ripped again 
yeah. the earrings were too heavy. And, and the then she wasn't ended, tight enough. Yep. And then she did it again. And now she only wears studs. Now she only wears studs. And they have to be diamond because she yeah. ain't putting them in there otherwise. Anything less won't touch. What, so, we got her son from Costco? We did. Wild. Yeah. Good for us. Good for us. We do great. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. We're, we're so good that's, daughters. So that's, that's our life. past two months. Yeah, so we've been busy. Mommy's been gone. Mama's Mommy's gone, gone now. She's back in hell. Yeah. And we are here. Um... In a less expensive hell. Yeah. So hi. <laughs> hi, welcome to Cheaper <laughs> Hell. And we are here to talk about the duct tape killer. Now, I know, I knew nothing about this dude. And I was very happy about that because you know how I am about sometimes researching people that I know about already can get a little boring, except when there's like this one thing that I want to know, like, where did he come from? Or what happened to him? Or how did he figure this out? And blah, blah, blah. Like, and so I ran into this. And I'm gonna be honest, I picked this because this was an audio book that was mad short. <laughs> that's why because some of the free? yeah well you know i subscribe to scribed so I for like, you had mm-hmm. so all right so we're gonna talk about it sorry we spent 25 minutes on that but we just you know we, we gotta, gotta get a little update let you know why we missed the show last week and also what's been going on anyway so we're good though we're good we're working through it fuck this <laughs> strike but we're working through it mm-hmm. okay <laughs> excuse me that was wheezy I got up to get water and I don't think I ever brought it in here. here. I get one. So let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do this shit. Let's, she's going to go get me some water and we going to be red tay ready, ready for the big ride, baby. <laughs> That's the old class, the old classic Nikki cage from face. I fucking love Face Off. Mm-hmm. I watched that recently, and I was like, "God damn it, this was good." Hell yeah! Sorry, I opened your bottle. Thank you. Literally, you opened it like I was at a concert. They they sure are. I'm like, damn bitch. So now I gotta waste it the whole way to my seat (laughs) when you could have left that shit closed. It was like, you don't know my life. I'm in the middle of the aisle. I'm in the basement. (laughs) We on the third floor. All right. Okay. So let's talk about them. So this is the episode 19, the duct tape ki- killer. And I'd also like to make a friendly reminder real quick that um, we will be doing the 20th episode. This will actually be a two parter, but we're going to do the 20th episode. And then that will be the end of this season. And then I'll likely be back for a Halloween episode. Okay. Remember that. Okay. Cause I won't got it. All right. <laughs> Copy notes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's do this. So um, get your drink sip on. Cause I'm about to take my sip. Now, on August 24th, 1994, Bill Dumansky discovered his wife, Larissa, was missing. She was not in bed. You said his name was what? His name was Bill Dumansky. Oh, that's in the name of a serial killer. Uh, yeah, well, that, he's not the serial killer, though. But, oh. Okay. He, <laughs> he discovered his wife, Larissa, was missing. She was not in bed. He knew she went to work the previous day at 4 p.m. because she called him during her break. But it was now 7.30 a.m., And so he drove to the employee parking lot where she parked and found her car. But he noticed that her front driver's side's tire was flat and the keys to the van were still in the driver's side door lock. So it's getting a little funky real quick. 
He called the police. Now, generally, the police would want to wait 24 hours before filing a missing person's report. But due to the tire and the keys, they felt it was best to go ahead and file one immediately. So Bill said that they were having trouble with her tires as she had had multiple flats in the last couple of months and, and, and specifically in that parking lot. And when he had examined them, he noticed that her tires had been punctured. Yeah. Um, and once found, he once found on one of her tires that he fixed that the valve stem was cut, which was leading to a slow leak. So Bill was starting to suspect something. Um, but when the police got involved, Bill himself was turning into the suspect because, of course, he's the husband and the husband is always the first suspect. So there was Lieutenant Gary Folkerts. He was assigned to the case. The Demanskis were Ukrainian immigrants in the early 1990s running from the Russian control. They were also Christian, which was apparently frowned upon in Ukraine as to uh, worship. They had to. What are Ukrainian to you? Ukrainian. But, I, you know, Ukrainians. Like I don't know. Religious wise, Is because like I don't know if they're Catholic. They're probably Catholic. Oh, I thought it was like Israel. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I mean, like the Russians and shit, because, um, you know, they were associated with Russia. I don't know. Russia is such a I learned I learned very little about Russia, so I don't know much about them either. But, yeah, I don't know what they typically worship. Okay. Um, but they had I'm a little- back then they had to have service at night in the forest or in basements because <laughs> they were not allowed to practice Christianity in the wow. Ukraine. They were encouraged to completely denounce God. Orthodox Christian. Orthodox. Oh, that's interesting then. Okay. So maybe, so I wonder what was going on with Russia then, but I guess we'll look into that. Oh, and, look with nearly eight in 10 adults, 78% identifying as Orthodox compared with 71% in Russia. So 71% of Russia are clearly Orthodox Christian okay. as well. Okay. That was according to 2015. No, I don't know about now. Yeah, I mean, the question is, what were they in the 1990s? Oh. Now, they were encouraged to completely denounce God, and if they didn't, they would be arrested and tortured or executed. What'd they say? Russian Russian Orthodox? Christian. Oh, I don't even know what the fuck that is. Ukraine is divided into two main Orthodox churches, the National Orthodox Church of Ukraine, which separately institutionally separated institutionally from the Russian Orthodox Church in 1990. I don't get religion. Yeah, I don't get religions. We don't. We didn't grow up religions. <laughs> Religious. I'm I'll ask my friend about that because he studied religion. He studied theology. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Jeremiah. Oh, did he? So the Demanskis sought asylum in Sioux Falls where they joined Bill's parents and siblings. They both landed jobs at John Morrell's meatpacking plant and had two daughters. Now, <laughs> the daughters were Regina and Christina. Bill would eventually leave the company and work as a carpenter, while Larissa worked the night shift at Morrell's, which was 4 p.m. to 1 a.m. That was her shift. Larissa was six weeks pregnant. By September 1994, the search for Larissa continued, but they needed an outside tip. 
Bill's job offered an $8,000 reward. The Demanski's church rallied together to help search and send out over 4,000 letters with Larissa's photo and information. As what happens with any search, they sifted through the useless leads and the crank fucking calls, which I'm like, fuck those people who love wasting the police's time when they ha- don't have very much time to investigate shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the time is valuable. Or don't fuck this up. when they actually investigate shit. Or uh, thank God. Like when you finally get a police group, uh, a group of pl- policemen or that's a department that's do doing the work. So Bill's job would eventually double the money, but the calls started to dwindle even when they doubled the money. Like nobody had any tips. So they were running out of leads. Bill was eventually cleared, but the pain of losing Larissa was unbearable. He left the house just as she left it in hopes that she would return. On July 26, 1996, the Striley family were preparing for the last day of Bible camp for the season when they heard a knock at the door standing there was a man with a mustache and a baseball cap his name was Robert Anderson and he was inquiring about the camp and claimed to have had four children you want to know the ages four three two and one okay so Vance who was the husband let him know that they only accepted children five years of age and above and when Vance asked if he wanted to join the mailing list Piper popped out who's his wife popped out with a pen and a notepad to get the man's information quote Robert didn't say anything but his eyes fixed on her he scratched down some information on the paper and gave it back to Vance and left. Vance and Piper opened the Prairie View Bible Camp after buying 40 acres of rural land in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Vance was camp counselor. and Piper worked part time teaching Bible lessons. They had two children, Shana and Nathan. Piper was the homecoming queen type and very well liked where she was from, which was in Rio Medina, Texas. She was born February 11th. Mm -hmm, Rio Medina. She was born February 11th, 1968. Her family then moved to Ohio, then back to Texas, where she went to high school. She played the clarinet, and she was also a performer in the flag team and would work with the sports teams as a statistician, which I'm like. A statistician? Yeah, she handled the statistics. She meant... Uh, she meant she met Vance and Vance and Vance had he knew as soon as he saw her that he wanted to marry her. He said, quote, I met this gal Piper and I thought to myself, that is some gal. That is the gal I want to marry. And they were married in 1989. They were very religious. They say gal in 1989. Yeah, for sure. They said that shit in the, in the 50s and onward. I thought it was only in the 50s and 60s. <laughs> so they were very religious. They decided to buy a church and received the papers on July 25th, just one day before they met Robert Anderson. On July 29th, 1996, Piper did not show up for work. She was an employee at the Southeastern Mental Health Outreach, but she was also, excuse me, excuse me. She also helped her disabled mother, Patty and son by providing them home assistance. Her mother called her job and found out that Piper was an hour late. This was unusual for her because she was extremely punctual. So Piper's mother called Piper's home and Shana, who is Piper's daughter, Piper's three-year-old daughter picked up the phone. This is what she said. She said, hello. This was Shana, Piper's daughter. She was how old? Three. Oh, hello. Patty. Is your mom home? Mom or mommy or daddy home? No. Is there a babysitter? No. 
They are killed. A mean man carried mommy away. Oh. Click. What? Yikes. Patty called back. It was Shayna, and she was crying. When did mommy leave? A while ago. Where did she go? She went with a man in a black car. Do you know the man? No. I don't want mommy to die. I don't want daddy hurt. I don't want daddy to die. Patty was able to get the attention of a coworker and directed her to 911. Have Patty keep ha, have Patty keep talking to the little girl and we'll try to get more information. This is what the 911 operator directed. So Patty asked the girl her name. Shayna. She sobbed. My mommy is going to die. She hung up again. First of all, stop hanging up. So, <laughs> so when the McCook County Sheriff was dispatched to the home of the Strileys for a welfare check, um, they were surprised to see that the bottom board of the trailer was knocked off and that the second step was broken. The front door was of also the trailer. Yeah, they lived in a trailer. Uh-huh. The front door was also open. The glass on the screen door had a hole in it. And when he entered, he noticed that the house was in normal disarray, but there was a steak knife sticking out of the trash. He knew then that there was a struggle and someone had left in a hurry. Her purse was still there as well, which, as we know, is always a terrible sign because women always have their purse. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have their purse, they have their wallet. Yeah. The sheriff found Shayna crying in the hallway asking, do you know where your mommy is? My mommy is going to die. Stop saying that. Is your home in the, is your mom in the hospital? No. A bad man in a black truck came. There was a loud noise and mommy said, get Nathan and hide. Then the phone rang. It was Vance, the husband. Hello? Who is this? This is McCook County Sheriff Gene Taylor. Who is this? Vance Striley. I'm looking for my kids. Is something wrong? Your kids are safe, but I need you to come home as soon as possible. Vance got home and Taylor was waiting for him. When Vance asked what was going on, Taylor said, we don't know where your wife is. And as of now, I need you to stay out here and not talk to the kids because obviously he could easily be a suspect. I was going to say, where was he when this little girl was just on the phone? He was at work. So Shayna saw her father and ran out to him screaming, Daddy, the mean man took Nathan's tent, but mommy said it was okay. So then Nathan had received, so Nathan, who's the son, the the little boy, Mm -hmm. Nathan had received a tent on his second birthday, which was the day before. Oh. So there was a loud bang, and mommy told me to get Nathan and hide. He took Nathan's tent, she said. And then Vance was like, it's okay. We'll get Nathan another tent. The mean man in the black truck carried mommy away. She's not coming back. And then Shayna collapsed into tears. So the police began to canvass the area and establish roadblocks to stop vehicles passing by. One driver said that he saw something unusual. There was a black SUV with black wheels and a CB antenna at around 9.30 a.m. that was driving toward him, headed toward Lake Vermilion. It got 100 yards in front of him. Where the fuck is that? This is all in South Dakota. We don't know. It all got 100 yards in front of him when it whipped a Yui into a ditch and headed into the opposite direction. He noticed the truck anyway because he thought that the paint was weird. He was like, it was a flat black color. And then when he saw it again an hour later running a stop sign, 
he was like, this truck is weird as fuck. And then he saw it again at noon and the vehicle was heading west. So now this was consistent with what Shayna was saying about the car. And when they searched the trailer, they found a nine millimeter shell casing under the sheriff's car. Vance didn't own any guns, though. So they grabbed her some hair samples. So, you know, hair that was like in her brush. And then they b- grabbed a bloody maxi pad that was in the trash from the trailer for forensics, which thank God. How could they be sure that was her hair? It, it was her brush. I mean, they can't be sure, but they have the daughter and they have, yeah, you know I'm what like, I mean? I so they can they eliminate to, the they daughter. Pull a strand from her. Yeah, for sure. They can make the distinction. So the following day, Vance remembered that the man that stopped by in the black SUV inquiring about the Bible camp, he called the DCI and told them that his name was Robert Anderson. Because remember, he wrote his information down and gave it to them. Mr. Anderson. Exactly. And he only remembered because his grandfather has the same name. That's why he remembered his name. So when Vance went to go find the piece of paper with his name and information on it, he couldn't find it. He did also remember that the man told him that he lived next to Doc Schaefer's place by Lake Vermilion. They said, is there a Robert Anderson who lives near the lake? There's a grubby Anderson who lives by Doc Schaefer's house. I believe his real name is Leland, but everyone calls him grubby. So they ran the DMV records on black Broncos because he had a Bronco. And in South Dakota, so does OJ. And in South Dakota, and then ran the name and found Leland Anderson, who had an arrest record, which listed Ruth Anderson as next of kin. So now it's three o'clock in the morning. They call Ruth Anderson. Remember that short you had named Anderson? Yes. I couldn't (laughs) stop thinking about it as I was doing this. It's like between this, between that and the Matrix. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Like. It was, it was a short. There was, so quick segue. There was a short that I did in college because I went to film school where I did this short film. We were shooting on, uh, oh, nine millimeter Bolex. (laughs) So we were shooting on film and it was the first time we were shooting in color because the previous year we shot in black and white. We shot first time we shot in color. So I did a short film, which I'm pretty sure is on Vimeo. I could probably link it in the show notes. It's awful. But um, it It was weird. (laughs) It was weird. So I basically so what I did was I basically used the people I knew um and d- written this thing called because it was still it still needed to be silent so it, it, even though it was in color it was still silent uh we just needed to add music to it and anderson was this guy's name and it was a white serial killer that was only going to black neighborhoods to kill black women and it was kind of based on little red riding hood and so the w- girl that i had cast in it was the um kind of like the little red Riding hood character and Anderson was kind of supposed to be the big bad wolf. So she goes to the pharmacy to go get her grandmother's drugs. She sees her grandmother in bed when she leaves and she leaves, but Anderson has been watching her has been following her. And then when she gets back with the drugs, Anderson is, has replaced her grandmother and is in the bed and he obviously kills her. So that's the movie. It was called Anderson. I may link it in the show notes funny. if I can find it, it. It wasn't funny. It was good. <laughs> it was only funny just like being there. Oh, which I guess I started production early. Cause you I was sure did there for that entire shoot. Yeah, it was, it was me. It was, it was at- like in October. Yeah, it was cold. It was fall. It was me, Ashley. Um, it was uh, damn. I can't remember that girl's name that was in it. And then 
um, Kevin, who I actually I'm friends with on Instagram. I love him. I went to his Halloween party in 2019. He was Anderson. He was a, an aspiring actor at he the time. He was so creepy, he's, though. He's he was good. <laughs> he yeah. was so good because he's not creepy at all in real life. No, he's and not. And it's funny oh that God, I even not. remember all of this. Yeah, you know, it's funny too because when I saw it's him, so do you remember? Old. Oh my God, that had to what be t- that? that had to be two thousand because I was I was in school from two thousand four to two thousand eight, so I think that was oh five oh six. Wow. So you were like sixteen. Yeah. Yeah, no. because I was still here yeah. for high school. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I was that was like my freshman year at high school. Yep. Crazy. Yep. So yeah. So and big ups to Ashley for helping me do it too because she she was like she had she had basically handled the camera stuff because I was like I can't do this like I wasn't a creative major I was a producing major like I was always You're wanting like, to, I do numbers I was like I do numbers I don't fuck with all of this camera and lighting shit and so big ups to Ashley for helping me with that projects too. Um, Okay, so so they ran the DMV records. They run the Black Broncos in South Dakota and they ran the name of and found Leland Anderson and they call this woman Ruth. Hi, is this Ruth Anderson? Said the DCI agent. Yes. Who is this? Sorry to call it this hour, but I'm an over the road trucker. It's not true. And I just got (laughs) on to I just got into town. Do you have a husband or son named Robert Anderson? I have a son named Robert. I'm dealing on buying a car from Robert Anderson. Can I talk to him? Not right now. He's at work. He works night shift at Morell's. Do people in South Dakota have accents? I don't know. Who Is it like Fargo? I don't know. Where I Fargo? I don't know. People, you know, my, wasn't Fargo or like Alaska or some shit? Was it Alaska? I don't know. I don't know stuff like that. I'm surprised, actually. <laughs> you usually know little random stuff. Well, because like I, I never seek that type of information out. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, ooh, how do they speak in South Dakota? Like, who the fuck? I have time I got to remember South Dakota's a state. I hope there's no one on this. I'm so sorry for podcast, South Dakotians. That, like, have any lineage. Yeah, I'm sorry. South- that was mad rude. Like, that's no disrespect. <laughs> but, you know, South Dakota in my head, because I'm a city person who, you know, we're violent, you know, and we're all gay over here and like weird and we just do a bunch of drugs and shoot people. And so when I think about <laughs> when I think about states where there's like vast nothingness, I just assume nobody's there for real. I'm always surprised. <laughs> you know, we're the city where all the smashing grabs are happening. So <laughs> Did you see that meme of where people where it was like Chicago and it was like a calm golden retriever? And then what it was like how people see Chicago and it was like a rapid wolf. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we are lovely fucking people. I like, would just we like are to, fine. We're fine. We're we just okay. want to have a good time. Like just like we just any other have a good time. We just, just want to have a good time. A lot. <laughs> we just we, we get fucked up. There but, is- well, but you know what's everywhere. even crazier? The drunk people are not the people that are causing the problem. These are teenagers. Yeah. People are sober. <laughs> These are sober, sober assholes. They just a little pissed right They just now. pissed. They broke. Yeah, like they the broke. I completely fucking get it. But damn. Like, like in y'all front need to stop salad. this shit. Like for real. <laughs> like, like goddamn. I need y'all to relax because this is embarrassing. Please, I was trying to enjoy myself. Like it's a Saturday afternoon. It's two o'clock. Like <laughs> black people, Mexicans, all you minorities, and even the sprinkle on the white people out there doing this shit. Stop because it's mad embarrassing. But y'all I look do like get animals. it though. I don't get it. I, I we get not. It. We, I ain't got time for that because I got twenty pages of this shit. We need to stay on task. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
They called Morales, which is where he worked, and got Robert's information. And when they arrived, they noticed that there was no black Bronco. They run his address and they find the car registered with his with this information. They were able to get his plate. So they go to the parking lot at Morales to search each car to see if the car with the plate was parked there. And when they find the plate, they notice that the car is not black. The car is blue with a custom pattern on the side. So they go find the man that told them he spotted the car to ask him if he can identify it. And they drove around the parking lot. And when the man said, if that blue Bronco was black, it would be the vehicle. He said that confidently. So now they know they need to watch that Bronco. At around 7 a.m., a man left in the Bronco. And when he, excuse me, God damn, while he's being followed, the police are getting together photos to show Vance as a lineup. He couldn't say with certainty. And then when they showed Shayna, she couldn't recognize him either. So they decided to do an elimination interview with him since they all, you know, all they had was this Bronco. They're like, well, we've connected the vehicle to a certain extent, even though the color is not right. I was going to say, well, but it's not the same color. Exactly. But I guess how many people drive a dark Bronco? Exactly. But they're like, we don't have any black Broncos here under this Anderson name. And what they did know was when he pulled up to the Bible camp, his Bronco was black. But why couldn't it have just been stolen? That could be too, but either way, they need to do an elimination interview and that's what they're doing now. So they show up at his house and they ask him to come to the police station. They said, are you Robert Anderson? He said, yes, I'd like you to come down to the police station for an interview. The man nodded. Okay. Nobody does that. Not once did he say, what is this about? So he gets dressed to go down to the station. One of the DCI supervisors offered to conduct the interview just to help out. His name was Bob Grand Prix, which I'm like, why couldn't I have that as a last name? And apparently (laughs) this man was a damn good cop. He had an intuition out of this fucking world and was very good at reading people. His assessments were thought to be uncannily accurate. Um, And he used to be a counselor and had a natural ability when it came to questioning sexual predators. He was just good at that shit. As soon as he saw Anderson, he knew. They said he was kind of stubby and short, like a chode. You know what a chode is? A chode is a very, very short penis. (laughs) Fat, short penis. (laughs) They say it a lot on my new favorite show, which is I think you should leave on Netflix. (laughs) But he was like, she she bought me. There's a joke on there where he's like, she bought me chode jeans for my birthday. And she was like, it was just a fucking joke. And he goes, I almost killed myself, Julie. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. The amount of clips you've seen from this show. God, I love that show. Highly recommend. So he had a he had these like fucked up beady eyes and he had this smug expression and he was like balding. You know, he was just a gross, fat creeper. So when they asked his name, he was like Robert Leroy Anderson. Robert Leroy Anderson was born in Sioux Falls in 1969. I do not know his month or date. For some reason, nobody else does either. And of course, he grew up in a shitty family. He had three siblings. He would later go to high school and qualify for gifted and talented programs. But just like the rest of the men in his family, he was a criminal by nature. One brother served prison time for manslaughter and his older brother attacked this couple in their sleep because he was desperate for money. He stabbed the man seven times in the throat, chest, hands with a buck knife and then stabbed the wife in the hands. The knife got stuck in the husband. So he ran off and they survived. 
He did all of that after he had asked the little girl for cigarettes, which I'm like, what a creep. And she said, no, <laughs> she was like, I didn't got no cigarettes, bitch. And when Is he was in, exactly what no, she that's said? not what she said at all. <laughs> so, so when he was in the army, he was convicted of rape and had even served time for grand theft. This is his brother, by, by the way. And at one point, Leland and all three of his sons would be in prison at the same time. Okay. Um, least we consistent. Look, Anderson was very smart, though, and would enroll in engineering in college. Professors were impressed by him. It was in college that he started to get creepy and he started expressing his desire for ex- aggressive harm inflicting sex. Same. I'm joking. I was joking. What? All the boys thought that he was just making guy talk, which I'm like, men are the gatekeepers to other men. When you're sitting around with your homeboy and he creepily starts talking about like nailing a bitch to a cross and and like raping her, put that motherfucker on pause. Because now I got a question. Why are you hanging with him? But also, what's wrong with him? But thank you. Like, is that game of 2K so fucking fun with this person that you feel like <laughs> you're 2K. willing to sacrifice you know what I mean? Like your integrity. Like there will be times because I have mostly male friends now where I'm like, yeah, your friend seems like he's a piece of shit, but like in a bad way. You know, yeah. like men will be sitting around with friends that beat their wives that, you know, do all this foul shit like, to women. Hey, that ain't my business. It, but it t- birds of a feather but, flock together, my nigga. Like you wouldn't even want to associate with this person. Women. Yeah. Like yeah. at that point, I don't think it's business. No, anymore. it's not it's business. It's just like get some help i don't rock with you at all <laughs> like, and you need to understand too that when people find out that you're friends with people like that people question you and the type of yeah, person that you why are, are you letting them do this why are you letting your friend be a pervert like and then how are you just throwing it in like guy talk especially when it's like rape like i get if you like aggressive sex or if you're like into some freaky shit some people are freaky and they weird they're just hypersexual and they always talk about sex but if you got this friend that's like yeah i one day i was just thinking about having sex with a 12 year old girl police and just be like oh okay like, what do you do after like, you even hear that? You, we stop being friends or I'm calling the motherfucking police on you. Like, matter of fact, I'm not even going to call the police on you because I'm a curious person. I need to know what you're saying to me right now first. And then I, I need to, based on like, that information, decide whether or not I'm going to call the police on you. I also feel like that's just like a little bit of an opening for an ass whooping. It is. Like, I think you should automatically be stomped in your fucking face. Uh, yeah, I think the friend group should fuck you up. Yeah. That's like it. Jump you in the night. So I just that whole, you know, this whole umbrella of, oh, like that's guys being guys like, no, that's a guy being a fucking weirdo. That's not the same. Like, I don't think all men are weird. And there are some men like I can't imagine our uncle sitting around with a fucking pedophile and just no. been kicking it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? No. Or even a rapist just sitting around kicking it. Like, yeah, he, he, I can literally see Tehran at brunch and be like, I stopped fucking with that nigga. That would be the first thing yeah, he would that say. That nigga was weirdo. The dude's a real, he, he will say somebody's a weirdo real, in a weird, minute. He's real weirdo. That nigga's a real weirdo. You'd be like, damn, okay. Uh, <laughs> what did he do? Right, and it'd be minute shit. It don't even be nothing this big. It'd but be that's weird. Because Tyrion grew up around so many women. Yeah, he don't and get he, that. He don't deal well with disrespect mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. He like it's uncalled for. He's a Virgo. <laughs> He's a Virgo. He's one of those people. He'd be putting the kibosh on that. Tyrion will leave before he tolerates any fuckery. Yeah, any fuckery. Absolutely. 
Now, it was actually junior high when Anderson had first started talking about kidnapping a woman. Okay. Okay. Now, this was his favorite topic. He would also start talking about bondage and S&M porn. And he fantasized about, you know, just abducting a coworker or a neighbor and binding her and raping her. Cool. That was it. And so, quote, the thrill of the stalk and the imagining and imagining the abduction was enough to gratify his compulsive thoughts. After many years, simply imagining these sexual lusts was no longer enough to satisfy his dark appetite. And Anderson began putting into motion the plans for his visions to become reality. Years of plotting led to one conclusion. He needed a partner in crime to carry out the plan. And so he set his sights on a longtime friend. So that's who we we're dealing with. Now, when the interview starts, they ask him, do you know why we asked you to come down here? Well, I suppose it might be about the girl that went missing. Grand Prix is like, that is not the standard answer. An innocent person would never respond with that. So he was bewildered. What made you think that's why we wanted to talk to you? I read about it in the paper this morning. Grand Prix, Grand Prix oh, was the yeah, the paper. Grand Prix was not convinced. It was clear that he'd woken up Anderson back at the trailer. Did you stop at the Striley home on February? I mean, I'm sorry, on Friday, July 26th. The place is south of Lake Vermilion. Uh, yeah. I wanted to know about the camp. Completely unnerved. Did you go back to the home on Monday, July 29th? No, I didn't. Are you sure you didn't stop at the Striley place on Monday? I did stop out there like yesterday morning, I guess around 11. You know, I didn't see a vehicle. I pulled in, didn't see a vehicle because I remember two vehicles sitting there. So I pulled in and backed out. Is there any reason we'd find fingerprints on the door? I did try the doorknob. <laughs> now, <kind> of funny. <laughs> they were trying the door. I did try the doorknob. They're like, now they're trying to build anxiety. They would make these like long pauses, kind of make him wait, not asking him a question immediately. So now Anderson was smart, but he made one fatal error. He placed one fatal him- mistake. One fatal mistake. <laughs> he placed himself at the scene. So have you washed? or painted your Bronco recently? Anderson replied that he had not, but had no explanation when asked how his SUV was so clean after driving it on dusty gravel roads. Do you own now or have you ever owned a handgun? No, never seen the use of a handgun. While interviewing him, they decided to work on the search warrant. They soon discovered that he had a problem thinking he was the smartest man in the room. He's a fucking narcissist. Mm -hmm. He would try to control the interview and send them on tangents, talking about black holes and physics and shit. And then he would also compare himself to Albert Einstein. When he got bored with the interview, he would just start doodling. He said, I'm starting to lose my concentration. I'm tired. I knew when you brought me here, if I asked you, you wouldn't let me leave. (laughs) They're like, why did you know that? We let you drive down here. He said, I just su- assume the reason you let me leave down, he- let me drive down here is because you wanted to go through my Bronco. They were like, you're way ahead of us. He said, no, I'm not. Using three short words to convey that 
one could out, no one could outsmart him. And he knew exactly what the detectives were after. The door is open, Grand Prix said, indicating that no one was forcing Anderson to stay. What door? On the Bronco? No, the door. It's unlocked. So then they asked him if he knew Larissa Demansky. And he told them that he worked with her. He was so consistent with trying to give them the answer that they wanted and then switching it that they wondered if he read up on interrogation tactics. They were like, this dude is kind of too good at this shit. Then the detective tells him about the recording of the little girl. Then he showed him, which is the 911 call. Then he showed him pictures of Anderson that he just took and asked him. Any idea why I took those photos? He goes, well, I suppose you wanted something to show to verify that it was me that they saw or something like that. What's going to happen is I'm going to show that picture to that little girl. And if she tells me that you're the man that took her mommy, I don't see how she could because I didn't. You don't need to hear it, do you? It's a little girl begging for help. You know, whatever your point is, make it. This is Anderson. (laughs) He says, I'm getting tired. I have to work. I mean, I can't believe this is the now this is the detective. I mean, I can't believe you're pulling this bullshit on me after I talk to you about this. You're telling me you're worried about work and sleep when we're in here making accusations like this. This is like the most important day of your life. He said, don't be none of my business. He's like, he, the cop is like, don't be giving me this shit that you're worried about work and you're worried about sleep. There's no way that girl did not open that door and come out when you knocked on it. Not in the shape she was in. She saw who did this, Rob. She did not. She did not come out. The door was not open. I did not go in. He paused, takes a deep breath, and then finally admitted, it doesn't look good for me. <laughs> Now, they're thinking Piper could still be alive. They had to tread lightly because he hadn't been read his Miranda rights because he hadn't been charged. And the last thing they wanted him to do was to leave knowing that he's being watched. He may kill Piper if she isn't dead already. So they tell him he's free to leave. But they wanted him to keep talking because he was not Mirandized. And anything he's saying at this point after he requested to leave the first time can't be used as evidence. So even if he admits it, it's inadmissible in court. So they, in the meantime, needed more information to find her. So the investigation investigator asked, do you know anything else about this Piper Striley? I read that Piper seemed nice. You said you been to the Striley home before so did she seem nice when she handed you a pen yeah I drive around after work in the mornings and I've seen her outside getting the mail if someone kidnapped Piper what do you think they do to her I've heard that when a woman is abducted she's tied up and raped sometimes she's kept as a sex slave Okay. So this dude fucking loved this topic. He sat there and talked to the officers about sex for two hours, telling what he thought women liked having done to them sexually. He asked to leave again. And the officer says, you know what? You can leave anytime, but you may want to hear what we just learned. Anderson's like, well, what did you learn? We have reason to believe that Piper might be alive. 
Anderson didn't fall for this trick and it made all hopes of Piper being alive fly away. And he continued to talk about his sexual deviances. So he's a by, by the way, like he's not even like veering off topic. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like nothing. He's, he's like engaging in this conversation. So they really wanted to Mirandize him, but they needed him to keep talking. And if they do it, he may lawyer up. So they tell him, all right, you can go Robert, but we have a question. We're hearing that you may have knowledge about Piper's whereabouts. Can you help us out with that? He couldn't, but instead talked about black holes and his knowledge of engineering. It was a high stakes chess game and every skill move made by the detectives were cunningly countered by Anderson. The detectives requested that he take a polygraph, but he refused on the grounds that he didn't consider it reliable. The game was over. They had held him for eight hours and gathered very little information. So they break the news to him. They don't want him to leave because they would like to search his vehicle and his home And they could do that legally because they have warrants. So Anderson's response was, you'll need to jiggle the handle on the Bronco to get it open because it sticks. What's wrong with him? He's a narcissist. So they search him and his fanny pack. (laughs) And a narcissist wearing a fanny pack is wild. (laughs) He had on his uh, keys, two handcuff keys. They collected his clothes. They took samples of his blood, hair, and fingernails. And they also noticed that he was full commando. That motherfucker had no draws on. Okay. (laughs) So in a bronco. Bronco. What's your problem? Dick out. (laughs) In a bronco. (laughs) How I like it. So when they got to his house, it was a pigsty. He was a complete total pack rat. Duh. And a slob. Double duh. God, how is he still a narcissist? Men are fucking nuts. Men are crazy as fuck. Terrible qualities. Yeah, that's shitty. (laughs) So he had receipts everywhere. This is the shitty part about being a murderer and a pack rat. He had receipts (laughs) everywhere. So they could literally track his whereabouts. And they even found the invoice to this CB radio that he had on top of his fucking car. The CB antenna, I'm sorry. And so on July 25th, 1996, he purchased a pair of of brown jersey gloves two household sprayers a three inch paintbrush and they found a purchase receipt for the same day at another store for a hand sprayer a skin of red yarn and a compact disc and another receipt for a 16 ounce bottle of craft paint and it was likely (laughs) that these three purchases were connected to the murder now one receipt showed that he went to menards and bought duct tape a three inch brush and a five quart bucket oh damn i forgot to mention that robert was married with children okay so the officers put him in a hotel, put them in a hotel while they searched that shitty trailer where they found dirty stained Why jeans. Why is the trailer in it? Look. Where they Where they found these dirty ass jeans, which they found blood in the crotch. Ew, so that's concerning. Because he's going commando in jeans. No, we'll find. Yeah. And you'll find out why that Big is. Bastard. So when they searched the car, they found two toolboxes that they called the torture kit. And, and it was a handful First of like, all, unoriginal. literally, 
a handful of long wooden dowels. Dowels are commonly used as structural reinforcements in cabinets. And um, I had to Google that because I'm not a carpenter. So people also use <laughs> okay. them for furniture, so shelf supports, game pieces, a bunch of other shit. So they found these wooden dowels in there. So the team also found, quote, an army entrenching tool with dirt on it with a walkie talkie, a large flashlight, a soiled pair of brown jersey gloves. One of the two toolboxes contained typical tools. The second did not. Inside the first layer was a can of black spray paint, a can of red spray paint, a five inch tear gas container, nylon straps, and about nine feet of chain. The second layer of the box revealed an exacto knife, eye bolts, small pieces of some unknown plants, and several quarter inch wooden dowels cut into nine inch pieces. What's up the with the dowels? Seriously, the contents appeared to be items used for torture. Okay. Now, this murder mobile that he's driving around in. That's how the fucking inside of the Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> he removed the back seats. And the back seats had this carpeted area that had these eye rings in the corners. That was his bondage board. Low key, can we go to Peppy's? Okay. Okay. Sure. So anyway, because I'm hungry. So uh, it was a bondage board. Something had been spray painted on the board. So when they examined under the hood, they found drips of black paint and brush marks, as well as black paint drippings on the tire rim, which were white. The tire rims are white. So they found a sales repeat, uh, receipt for craft paint, duct tape, paint, bu paint bucket, and paint brush. And when they questioned the store clerk about the paint, they asked, would this paint wash off a vehicle? The store clerk was like, you know, you're the second person to ask me this question this week. And they were like, who was the other person? She was like, a man came in and said he was going to paint a friend's car as a prank. And we talked about why would they say that? <laughs> like that was he didn't have to know that he didn't have to he know shit. He could have just said, "Hey, car just, paint." Like, or just like, yeah, I guess, just like, where's the car paint? Where's the car paint? So she said we talked about diluting the paint with water, and that he'd need a spray bottle to apply it. We don't carry those, so I told him to check Kmart. <laughs> Kmart. She said, "Do he said, do you think fucking Kmart?" Do you think you could identify a photograph of the person who bought this? She was like, I'll try. So she identified him as the customer. That fucker painted his car. By August 1st, they showed Vance the new pictures that Anderson uh, took in a hat. And he identified him immediately. The picture they showed him before was from an old DMV record. And he didn't look like that anymore. So that's why Shana couldn't identify him him the first time like or the husband anymore. because it was an old dmv license picture oh. so when when they saw him when vance saw him the first time anderson was in a hat so he wasn't used to seeing him without a hat on you can't wear hats in dmv photos so when the officers took a updated picture of him in a hat so are hats for real a disguise literally like they're like googly eyes it's like batman you mm -hmm. can't tell me that's you you tell me you don't know that's Christian i think Bale. it just depends because when you wear like a brimmed hat half of your face is in shadow so sometimes yeah, but, people can't. I mean, but sometimes all it takes is the lower hat. Well, if he's wearing a hat most of the time, that mother. First of all, men are not that observant. Now, low key, I feel like had Piper been asked this question, his wife, she probably would have been able to identify him because yeah. women notice certain things like, oh, his eyes are pretty. Oh, his nose is weird. Yeah. Oh, his or mouth is this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Shayna was able to identify him too. So <laughs> they searched his. Uh, they searched his backyard shed and found that 
there was a one and a half and five inch piece of stainless steel. One on one end, someone had wielded one and a half inch triangle or these like sharp metal that was spray painted gray. And so they were wondering, like, was this object a homemade weapon? Was it used to inflict pain? And the only way I can better describe it is by showing Kira a picture because I actually have a picture of it. It's very, it's a very strange thing to see because I was like, when I first saw him, I was like, oh no, I don't have a picture of it. But when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's, if that was used for torture, everybody died. (laughs) I got to find this in my phone. I'll post it on my Instagram anyway. So Robert was a refrigerator technician while working at Morals. He was Morels. He would use one of the empty workshops to make instruments of torture, including his bonding board. He also liked to go to rooms where animals were being slaughtered because he got a thrill from the blood. Oh, now sounds fun. Yeah. He had a friend named Jamie Hammer who he used to visit after work that could account many times where Robert discussed kidnapping and raping a woman quote, it would be so easy to follow a woman walking down the sidewalk, come up behind her, throw her into the back seat, tie her down, then haul her to a secluded area and rape her. This is what Anderson said. Another idea I'm working on is to flatten the tire of a girl so I can kidnap her. Once she's isolated, she's an easy grab. Who is he talking to about? His friend, Jamie Hammer. These are just casual conversations. Yes. He also said, you can help me grab her and join in the fun. We'll cut her clothes off and rape her. Now we're planning. Okay. Yeah. Hammer just sat there, not agreeing, but not necessarily disagreeing either. He was being roped into this nonsense, even though he claimed he didn't think he was serious. Then Anderson gave him a walkie talkie so they could hide along the highway so they could kidnap a girl. His plan was to throw out a tire popper, forcing her to uh, stop, pull over to help her and take her. He talked to Jamie about uh, he. I'm sorry. He talked Jamie into going out in two vehicles to practice the walkie talkies and the tire poppers and hammers, which is a fucking ditz is like. Okay, <laughs> we're just doing this for fun. Like, I don't know where else this is supposed to go now. Like, I mean, I mean, if we're just doing this just to try it out, we're not actually going to do it. I guess I'm down like, I and just you, play around. I think around. you may be doing it for real. The fuck are you on, my dude? I think you've invested some time in this. Oh, but guess what? Hammer's neighbor once said that Anderson pulled out a nine millimeter pistol. The same person who said I would never. What do I need a gun for? cunt so anderson had been waiting for watching several women in preparation for this kidnapping and hammer still didn't take him seriously he heard that like like he heard that type of kind of talk for years he was like look here this motherfucker is creepy but i used to work on construction sites and construction sites are weird 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 so anderson but he realized that anderson was not playing quote i have some women picked out to abduct I've been following one, so I'll drive by and show you where she lives. What? Motherfucker. Okay. Right. You still think this is a fantasy? This is starting to feel like a plan. 
he's definitely planning. She lives. There's one moment where he goes, she lives right there, but she has a big boyfriend. Another way to get her is to take her. watching her too. Yes. Another way to get her is to take her right out of the house at gunpoint some night. Some night. So he even had the areas picked out where it would be secluded. He also talked about the ways of disposing the bodies, which was by burying them in the middle of nowhere or dismembering them. And one day Anderson brought Hammer with him to follow a woman, but Hammer wasn't with it. And he literally said, I have someone, I have some women picked out to abduct. He's, this isn't even code. Creepy. This is explicit. So one witness who was an acquaintance of Anderson said that he used to go to the shooting range and had a nine millimeter pistol and that he used it for he used to use it for target practice. Now, Rob had once told Robert had once told him that the valley that was overgrown would grown would be a great place to bury a body. The man was disturbed by this and stayed away from him. Yes, but you should have also told somebody because I would have been like, okay. Yeah, like if you know okay. about this, I don't think this is like yeah. anything that we just hold on no. to. No, because this could escalate. So they were able to compare the pin marks uh, on the cartridges at the shooting range to the bullet found at the Stryley house. So now we're back to the crime scene. They can now match the bullets that they found at the gun range to the bullets that they found the the casing that they found at the Stryley house okay. because they th- these pin marks are sometimes very unique to a particular weapon so they know okay. so the community was continuing to look for piper's body but the terrain was awful it was humid so they spent eight hours with a team of 500 people searching the area they had 40 dogs 40 four zero dogs they were searching via boat horseback plane and helicopter quote That's why a lot of us live in rural South Dakota. It's not supposed to happen here. See, that's what's so fucked up about places where people are, you know, are rural. I'm sorry. Anywhere there is people. Yeah. There can be murder. So PSA. Hey, I know the Chicago, New York and L.A. and Detroit and Atlanta and all of those metropolitan places where all these gay black people and like gay Mexicans and and straight, crazy white people who are liberal, all these liberal people, (laughs) all these immigrants, all of these people who are aborting babies live. All of those motherfuckers, while they don't live in South Dakota, it doesn't keep you safe to just stay at like maybe probability wise, you're more likely to be hurt here. But I'm going to be I mean, honest with you. We don't know a lot of serial killers. I was going to say, I personally Even though don't Chicago know, does have a ser- a several serial killers. I personal, personally don't know any rapists. Mm-mm. But even if I did, though, um, I would never move from here assuming that unless I am living somewhere where it is literally just me yeah. and I know I'm not a serial killer, yeah. I can never expect... Or feel comfortable just thinking it's not supposed to happen here. See, this is the naivete like, of people that, that move. What does that even mean it's, that it's not supposed yeah, to happen? Because like this is just everyone's just so small and and neighborly. We don't do things. We like know each other. Happen. We love each other. That doesn't like, make do people you? not sick in the head. Because he's been watching this woman. Yeah. Her every move. He knows mm-hmm. when her boyfriend leaves. He knows that she has a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's talking about killing her. So clearly it does happen here. It does. I'm so sorry. It definitely does. I mean, I think that, you know, I think it's it's 
people who live in these rural areas, while it may be less likely, doesn't mean it's not possible. So I think you're being completely naive when you make statements like it's not supposed to happen here. It's supposed to happen anywhere. We're on fucking planet Earth. As long as there's people, there's always going to be problems. Honestly, it almost feels scripted. Like, I didn't know people said shit oh they do yeah for sure i've seen it on hundreds of documentaries where people are like you know we just we've never had we just it's not supposed to happen here we're a loving community okay today (laughs) what the fuck so upon further examination of the toolboxes in the vehicle they were able to identify black snake root and hone wart which is a type of plant because remember they found these weird plants in the toolbox that sounds like harry potter literally So they found these plants. So he said, quote, these plants only grow along a riverbank where there is a lot of shade and no grazing. If we took you around, could you point out where these plants would be found? They've been searching the wrong fucking area the whole time. So they started off at the the dog. Right. So they started off at the Big Sioux River where black snake root and hone wart would typically grow. And they found torn and wadded up pieces of duct tape human hair and Why would they leave that half because it's deserted they didn't think that they were gonna get caught he's a narcissist that still sounds like a terrible place to leave anything it is duct i mean it's not a natural part of an environment yeah. so i would have probably left i would have probably collected it yeah i'm like duct tape like hair and guess what else a half piece of a black and white striped shirt so turns out it was piper's night shirt they found a vibrator, what? a candle, and they were also able to match the ridges on the wadded up tape to the remaining tape in Anderson's Bronco. This is the worst crime I've ever heard of in my life. Like, it's actually embarrassing. Low key. Why did y'all do this? I, you know, at first I was like, he was so stupid. But these are also great detectives. Because, like, I, you know, I wouldn't have even dawned on me to ta- to unravel the, the wadded up tape and match it to the tape that was found. Because I'm like, what are the odds? You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't even think that a killer would be that stupid. Yeah. But they did. And it matched. Really, these people are that stupid. Yeah, because he didn't think he would get caught for real. So when they checked the hair fibers to the hair found in Piper's brush, they realized that they matched. So they issued an alert for the townspeople to be on the lookout for a half for half of a black and white striped shirt. Well, this man named Joe Woodell, who had been driving along the highway on the day that Piper vanished, found a strip of black and white striped shirt that he picked up and he casually put it in his car as a car rag. You know how men just be having like pieces of shirt and shit all over the place because they use it to clean shit. One day, his girlfriend was reading the paper and she says, why in the world would the police be looking for half of a black and white T-shirt? And Joel was like, wait a minute. He went out to his truck. He was like, I need to go to the police station. This is why we need newspapers. Seriously. So the piece matched the shirt found at the river. Now, Anderson was crazy about the idea of raping a pretty young woman. And what he liked about Piper was her legs. The Friday before the abduction, he planned on abducting Piper, but her husband came to the door. So that following Monday, July 29th, he went to the Strileys and Shana answered the door. Anderson said, where's your mom? And Shana pointed toward the back room. He rushed in, forced her to lie down on her stomach, but she wouldn't. 
He pushed her and she landed in the children's room. Piper managed to grab his gun and the gun went off. That escalated quickly. Anderson overpowered her and cuffed her hands. He asked her where the paper with his information on it was and he took it. He took it. Because remember, he wrote his information down. He asked her for that piece of paper back. That's why her husband couldn't find it. Mm. So Piper was barefoot and she was wearing a black and white nightshirt. He threatened to um, shoot her. Okay. And he fired it just to prove it. So Anderson, being in a rush, couldn't find the shell cases. So he just left it. He just left. He was like, fuck, I got to go. So he left it and he put her in the passenger seat and he drove off. She says, I'm menstruating. He said, I don't care about that. My husband's the only man I've been with. This is what she's telling him. On August 2nd, they arrested Anderson for first degree kidnapping of Piper Striley, which carried a maximum sentence of life. Anderson's wife made a statement to the press. This is what this bitch said. This part, this is part about the bad times in one's life. He's innocent. His eyes tell it all. The authorities want someone so bad that they are just going, this is his wife. Oh God. The authorities want somebody so bad that they just going after one person. Robert is scared and we both cried. He didn't kidnap anyone. He offered up an excuse for her husband claiming he was out at the Stryley house because of her desire to enroll their children in a church camp. It was improbable story that had the opposite effect and made it appear that Anderson didn't even have a single alibi. And while Elaine, his wife, worked the day shift at Morell's, a neighbor took care of their three children who were only five, three and one. Now, Anderson had another son. Now, Anderson did have another son from his first marriage, but hadn't seen the boy for three years. Uh, Elaine explained that it she explained it away by professing that her husband loved his son so much that he didn't want the boy to be in the middle of a fight. So, He chose not to see him. Now, some of his neighbors came to his defense, of course, but Bill's recollection of Anderson was that, quote, Anderson enjoyed talking about sex and the way he performs it and all that dirty stuff. And he remembered that Anderson was being nasty and dirty minded. And in the days following, other moral employees, Morel, I'm sorry, Morel employees reported having seen Anderson with pornographic pictures in his work locker, including nude photos of a family member. So, okay. let's fast forward. He's a weirdo. So, or rewind. I said fast forward. Let's rewind. Two years prior to the kidnapping of Larissa, in 1994, Anderson was driving a maroon Monte Carlo. He once told his friend, Glenn Walker, I want to grab Larissa, tie her up, and rape her. You can, And this is a different friend. This is a different friend. Okay. You can join on the fun. Then we'll finish her off and bury her where she'll never be found. What are the chances of him having a circle of rapist friends? I don't get it. Walker, plain looking and clean shaven, obediently listened while occasionally nodding his head. Walker also worked at Morell's and knew Larissa. He goes, help me do it and we'll have a good time. Fucking disgusting. So Walker agreed to it. Uh, Yeah. Anderson and Walker found Larissa's car in the Morrell parking lot and let the air out of the front tire. Next, all they had to do was wait. Around 1 a.m., they heard Larissa approaching her vehicle. Anderson crept up behind her and grabbed her. Don't say a word or you're dead. 
Anderson threw her to the ground, holding a knife to her neck while Walker duct taped her hands together and bound her wrists. They threw her in the trunk and sped off. Walker trickened out, though, and asked to be taken home. So when Anderson dropped Walker off, he had Larissa get in the front seat. I've never been with anyone except my, except my husband, Larissa said, likely grasping at anything that might appeal to Anderson's supposed sensibilities. What's going to happen to me? That depends on you. He raped her for four hours, pleading for her life. She was in letting him know that she was pregnant because remember, Larissa was six weeks pregnant and didn't that didn't change his plan. His plan was to suffocate her and to revive her over and over again, then duct tape her mouth and nose shut. He left her eyes untaped so he could look into them while she struggled. Oh, my God. This is actual torture. He placed her back in his car and went home to nap. Anderson what? would went need home to nap. Yes. Anderson would need Walker's help to dispose the body. Wait, he went he went back home where his kids and wife are? Yep. With this woman in the trunk. Hmm. He needed help to dispose the body, so he needed Walker. So he said to Walker, This body can never be found. So they dug a shallow grave under a choke cherry bush. The following November, they attempted to kidnap another girl by the name of Amy Anderson, but her kidnapping was botched because she knocked Anderson off a of balance and ran away. Amy got to got the attention of another car on the road and they took her phone. Uh, they took her to a phone to call the police. So, so her, her kidnapping was botched. Anderson had a thing for these tire poppers, but they never worked the way he wanted them to. So he stopped using them. He even created a switch in his car to turn off all the lights at the same time. So the vehicle would be completely dark. Uh, At this point, it's all trial and error. He's like trying kidnappers. What don't work? He changed. Then he do another kidnapping. What doesn't work? He changed. He just kept doing that over kidnapping and over. It is just terrifying. It is. Oh my God. Like it is absolutely terrifying. It's a lot. It's a lot to think about, especially cause you know, I'm one of those people too, that like when people have night employees, I believe that you should have a security. If you don't have it, cause obviously he worked at, the place that he was kidnapping these women from these women from um but i feel like there should be especially for night shift employees there should be paid security that escort women and men to their cars well, they were living in such a small town yeah yeah i mean but yeah and to me it would be easy to do you i mean that's a that's job security for somebody to just have the job of making sure that people are safely off the premises yeah. now if he when he was using the tire poppers he was using those on the road but to abduct somebody from the employee parking lot is wild to me. Yeah. Um, now, because I, I just think about the times like we're at center space and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like we work with people. We op- we work in these environments where like somebody could easily like duck and dodge and get into the facility. And if you're there, somebody should be wa- watching you yeah, in the parking lot. Parking. Yeah, for sure. So at this point, it's trial and error. Whatever's not working gets modified or removed. So Walker no longer wanted to engage. And even though they had been friends for years, the relationship went sour. He also realized that a knife wasn't working. So he started using a gun 
He was very methodical and he was starting to really escalate. Quote, his desire for a violent encounter was so overwhelming that he started going to the chokeberry bush where Bush, where Larissa was buried to relive the act of killing her. He pulled out his handgun and fired several rounds in the dirt that covered her body, all the while fantasizing and recreating in his mind the way he felt that early morning so many months ago when he took her when she took her last breath. The act excited and temporarily fulfilled him. Unfortunately, he would have to move the body though because of his beef with Walker cuz you know him and Walker Walker was like, "Dude, this is a lot." Um who knew where she was buried? He only thought it wise to get rid of the remains altogether. Well, yeah. So, using a sharp blade, the sharp blade of a shovel, he began dismembering the bones into manageable sections. He tediously broke each tooth from the skull to prevent dental records from being used to identify the remains. He did this by himself or with dude? He did he did this with No, he buried her the first time with dude. Yeah, he did. He moved the body this this time by himself. himself. Yeah, because this time it's not even a body. It's bones. Yeah. So he tediously broke them and then he piled her bones together and put them into the vehicle. He placed the dirt and smoothed it over to make the grave inconspicuous and driving around the countryside. Anderson threw pieces of the skeleton into the river, down ravines and into overgrown ditches until the final piece was discarded. If Walker ever ratted him out, investigators would go to the original place and find nothing. So now with his arrest, Anderson was assigned the best defense. Now this is what's crazy in South Dakota. They have this thing where they assign the defense, the best attorneys in the state. Okay. Which they feel like, cause you know, now most states, they give you a public defender. And if that motherfucker suck and he got a crazy case low, you probably gonna go to jail. But in South Dakota for, pe- for people who are facing capital punishment, they give them the best defense. So they hired him. They assigned two highly sought after lawyers named Sid Strange, which I think is a dope name. Sid Strange. Yeah, my is- nigga. <laughs> and Mike Unki. He's his his school his name ain't so cool. Now creepy. in South Dakota, you know, they do that. So um the prosecution team was uh district attorney general uh Larry Long and AG Mark Barnett. Now I'm gonna just keep going. At first I was gonna bump this into two parts, but fuck it, let's just go. What? Now Defense versus the state. The painted car. Yes, Anderson painted his Bronco, but the defense could argue that this was done so he could see how washable black color looked on his SUV, which is like, that's not really a defense. <laughs> yeah. Now, Anderson's lawyer could contend that there was no way one bottle of paint would be enough to cover a vehicle, but at the crime lab, Um, they borrowed a Bronco and used the three inch paintbrush and a bucket diluted the liquid to black paint with water. It took them 23 minutes to paint the entire fucking vehicle black, including the rims and the chrome. 23. That's it. Yep. After it dried, it took seven minutes to remove it at the car wash. So there was one problem. It was pointed out that Anderson Bronco had this unusual pattern painted on the side. So they located a Bronco similar in color 
to Anderson's and recreated the custom interwoven design from this vehicle by using masking tape. Having accomplished that, they painted the vehicle again with the temper with the paint, with the tempera paint, and videotaped the process to show the jury, and it was proved that the Bronco could be fully painted and washed clean in a short amount of time. So they proved that. Okay. They could also say that Anderson stopped at the Stryley home to ask about Bible camp, but so had others. The Strileys encouraged people to seek out ministry. So none of this meant that Anderson was responsible for the crime. But the reason for not seeking a murder charge was clear. There was no body. So mind you, I just told you what happened to her body, but they don't know that she's dead. They think she's there's a possibility she could still be found, even though they like "Eh, she could be. She most likely dead, though. Now, the defense objected to the kidnapping uh, trial without a body and noted that they couldn't recall such a thing happening before in the state of South Dakota. But the prosecution said that there was legal proof that the law was on their side because that finding the body is not required to prove kidnapping or murder, which is wild. But didn't they find everything else in her car, in his car? Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to run through those too. So Long and his team decided to pursue only a kidnapping charge since it would leave the door open to try Anderson for murder later. Because, you know, you can't be charged for murder twice. That's double jeopardy. So he, he they needed the body to be found. But since murder is a different charge than kidnapping, it would not be a violation of double jeopardy, which prohibits any accused person from being tried for the same crime twice. So they well, had. Why can't you? I, don't, I never understood that. Yeah. So like, oh, it's probably ridiculous. But, you know, oh, cool. there is a there is a law where like if you if you kill somebody like OJ, OJ can't be tried for Nicole Brown Simpson's murder again. But what is the reason? I know. So they also would ask the question of whether or not he was properly read his rights. And one attorney claimed that Anderson wasn't read his rights before the first interrogation, which would render the interview inadmissible in court. If agreed by the judge, it would deal a heavy blow to the prosecution because they would lose the ability to present the evidence that they collected as a result of the interview. Because remember, he kept asking to leave before they Mirandized him. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say could be used against you in a court of law. He has to be Mirandized in order to use it. Okay. He has to be you. It has to be. uh, He has to be Mirandized before the evidence that he's giving you is used. But the thing is, even though they didn't Mirandize him, as soon as he acts to leave, they have to either let him leave. But if they let him keep talking, most likely that is going to be inadmissible because you're say, now violating he, his rights. Yeah, so why haven't they just uh, they did it? Him? They didn't. Miran- they, no, this was from before. So they didn't Mirandize him before because they were afraid that he was going to lawyer up. When people lawyer up, they stopped I mean, well, talking. Kind of sounds like he needs to lawyer up at this point. Oh, fuck yeah. But they wanted to see if Piper was alive. They knew that time was of the essence. So they were like, we can't have him shut down because if we shut down and Piper is somewhere starving or suffocating, we're screwed. We need to keep him talking. I think that only works because they got an egotistical douchebag. Yeah. And of course, too. Well, one of the bigger things, that's why they kept him talking and they let him talk about sex for two hours. Yeah. I'm because like, they were like literally enough to arrest. Him, exactly. But they wanted as much information as possible. So 
Um, so because they didn't want to lose the ability to present the evidence they collected as a result of the interview, they were like, you know what, we gonna we'll just tell him that we found some information and then we'll Mirandize him and run the risk of him lawyering up. And that, you know, well, obviously yeah. they ended up doing that anyway. They had already had a they already had a warrant for his trailer and his car. They got all this concrete That's evidence again. Yeah, they got all this evidence on this motherfucker anyway. They weren't worried about it. What they were worried about is not finding Piper if she was alive. But then at some point, the investigators were like, she kind of it kind of seemed like she did. They probably shouldn't worry about it. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, So so anyway, so testimony was starting to like kind of focus on suppressing the interview. Uh, and it was super intense because both sides were kind of like, we can't have this shit be inadmissible because this motherfucker may walk away. So it was ruled that only the first four hours of Anderson's interview was admissible, not the last six and a half since about one hour into the interview, Anderson had talked to, had asked to talk to a lawyer and to go home. So he asked to go home but he never left no exactly so what difference does which kind of goes back to it seems like anderson knows a little bit more than yeah i'm like yeah. is he just playing stupid yeah i think he was he does what he always does which is to give them a little bit of something and then be like technically i don't gotta tell you shit so the prosecution though was still happy the first hour was when anderson had admitted being at the Strileys. This was just the first hour this was just the first hour the and changed his story several times you know, during the first hour. So they're like, well, it's a cr- critical part of the interview. So we're good. Now, the fourth thing they had to worry about was whether or not Amy Anderson's almost abduction could be argued. Now, the defense argued that they wanted to keep Amy Anderson's testimony out of it because there was also like there was a situation with a 17 year old girl who was uh, restrained with handcuffs by Robert Anderson. But this was determined that his character rather than directly related was not like directed related to the case that they were pursuing at that moment. Like the one with the girl who was, you know, got hit with the tire popper and she knocked him down and he, you know, she ended up escaping. They were like, let's not even talk about that one. So her case, <laughs> what her case wasn't even tried in this one. Jesus. Was it ever? So he was like, that's a separate and unique crime. Was it ever tried? We going to get there. Okay. That's a separate and unique crime. We just going to leave that where it is. So then the sh- tire poppers, should they be disregarded? So Anderson's disturbing use of these tire poppers were also a big problem because the defense argued that the tire poppers should be disregarded as evidence since they were not used in the kidnapping of Piper Striley. The thing is right now, they only want to talk about Piper Striley. They don't want to talk about anything else, even though the judge ultimately ruled that the evidence of the tire poppers was inadmissible. And there was no denying that these creations that he made were designed to assist Anderson in what the fuck that he was doing. Now, if the prosecution would have been allowed to use all the information they had about Anderson's tire poppers, it would have been a big strike against the defense because Anderson had parts of the devices in his locker at Morell's. And there were three motorists, including Amy, who were prepared to testify that they ran over the tire poppers. But that would not be heard in this kidnapping trial. Everybody's just driving over these tire bottles. Exactly. Now, Shayna, the question was whether or not Shayna should be put on the stand. She was the strongest witness to the kidnapping. Shayna was, uh, she picked out Anderson in a photo lineup. There was understandable doubt that she would do the same thing in the courtroom. 
Um, Anderson's lawyer filed a motion to prevent Shana from testifying based on her age. And this was something that the judge had to consider. Now, during the hearing to determine Shana's competence to the testi- to testify, the defense prepared 124 questions with which to grill. Yeah, to grill a child with, by the way. Okay. 124 fucking questions. Um, Shana was terrified. Uh, she blamed herself for letting Anderson in the house. She's three. She's okay. three. And when she was faced with the pictures of Anderson, she crawled into the fetal position under her blanket and she sobbed. Why would they show her pictures? Of him. Why would they show her pictures of him? Because they, they because, you know. I guess to see if they, he's. They active. need her. But that is she's, traumatizing. She, it is. But she's the strongest witness. And to me, I would have did it because I'm like low key. People are not going to like me. He was like, people ain't going to like me for this, but I got to question this child. It's my job. And lo- and, and if we're going to send Anderson to jail, which when Shana grow up, she'll understand. If we're going to send Anderson to jail for murdering her mother, kidnapping right now, for kidnapping her yeah. mother, then we need her to see these pictures. Not the crime scene pictures, but yeah, just I mean, pictures just of him. Pictures of him just creepy in so Shana didn't answer his questions at all. Um, but on the morning Piper was abducted, Vance called home to touch base with his wife. And, you know, he left a voice message on the answering machine. And while he was hanging up, Shana picked up the phone. So the machine kept the recording. And on the call, you can hear Shana saying, I hope he calls again. And then she says, Papa, Papa, please, please call back. And after a minute of random banging noises and all this other shit, the recording ends. So they played the recording instead because Shana wasn't with it. She Mm -hmm. was like, I don't want no parts of this shit. Uh Now, the other thing that they had, the seventh thing they had was the DNA evidence. To help lift up the case, the prosecutor sought out the DNA evidence, the four strands of hair found on the bondage board in the Bronco, as well as a mass of hair found in the duct tape along the river. DNA from the roots of the two of the hairs found in the Anderson bondage board matched the DNA from the blood on the menstrual pads that were found at Piper Striley's trash can. So they were able to link that Piper Striley was wherever that duct tape was found okay, because of the DNA from her maxi pad. The use of the DNA evidence was new, though. So people were hella sus about it. Remember, this was early 90s. They're like, what the fuck is DNA? Now, the prosecution oh. could only hope that the testimony of the forensics, as, you know, experts would be powerful enough to sway the jury because they're like, yo, the jury don't know shit about DNA evidence. And right now to them, it's like magic science. They're like, what the fuck is this DNA shit? And people were worried that this was something that the the government was using to convict people. And people were like, no, DNA is like God created that. So we we, will be fine using it. But the testimony of the forensics experts were powerful. So there were four human hairs found on the bondage board that had been discovered quickly and were in excellent shape. Long cradled a folder under his arm while summarizing the scientific results and two of the four human hairs from the bondage board in the back of the Bronco were compared to the two blood samples from the menstrual pads. And it was discovered in the trash can from the Striley's bathroom. Now they, they evaluated uh, these DNA samples using the same diagnostics clinic that evaluated the OJ Simpson and John Ramsey cases. Okay. So now they got reputable companies behind them so the lab was considered the best at extracting and testing dna 
So the woman who testified, the forensics expert, she said, we can say it is 100 million to one odds that these hairs came from Piper Striley than from a random unrelated female. In other words, the hair would be found in only one out of 100 million Caucasians, since at the time there were only about 112 million white women in the United States. The expert concluded that the hair could only have come from one white woman in the entire country. Interesting. Yep. Science is interesting. Interesting. So the expert, exactly. So, well, I mean, because they're basing it on the population. They're like, well, if we're saying it's 100 million to one and there are only 112 million women, that means there's only one woman in the whole population. I know. What are you scanning? Look, I don't go. I ain't go to school for this. I don't get it. Now, I know this is this room. It was also determined that the animal hairs found on the brown jersey gloves from Anderson's Bronco were dog hairs identical to the samples taken from Shriley's yellow Labrador, Chase. So now he got the dog hairs on him. The question was never answered as to whether the dog hairs were picked up randomly or if he petted Chase or whatever. They don't know how he ended up with dog hair on him. But another crucial excuse me, piece of evidence was a scrap was the scrap of black and white cotton cloth found by the state crime lab on the bondage board. The scrap matched Piper's nightgown. Though authorities had not located Anderson's pistol, the the jury was made aware that two co-workers witnessed him firing a nine millimeter handgun and that he practiced at a shooting range near Lake Vermilion. So now they get state ballistics people in. They collected 12 nine millimeter bullet casings from the shooting range. And he testified that 11 of the 12 shell cases found at the shooting range came from the same nine millimeter pistol and matched the shell casings found in Striley's driveway. So now we got a ballistics match. Now the next evidence was from the sanitary napkins taken from the Striley's bathroom on the day Piper went missing. They compared to the blood from the pads to the mixed blood stain on the crotch of Anderson's blue jeans. Yeah, I was going to say, did he end up getting... Um, yeah. yeah. A mixed stain contained DNA from more than one person. Anderson's DNA was present because the jeans were his, but the blood samples taken from Anderson's wife and children were not a match on the stain. Long summarized the connection to the jury. Quote, Piper was menstruating the day Anderson kidnapped her. It was observed that Anderson did not wear underwear Piper's blood was found in the inside of Anderson's blue jeans and was obviously the uh, was the obvious conclusion that he raped her. (sighs) He why (laughs) he's he's bad at this. He shouldn't do it anymore. He's definitely not going to. So the blood stain was not as overwhelming as they hoped it would be. The hairs were actually more overwhelming than the blue jean stain. Now. Hammer, his friend, was willing to testify. And at first, Hammer refused because based on numerous run-in with the law, he had very little faith in the legal system. And he was concerned that any information that he gave might be used against him. So he had not committed any crimes with Anderson, but he thought the investigators might come up with like these creative ways to tie him to the crimes. I mean, police do that type of shit. So I get it. But when the prosecution offered him limited immunity for his testimony, um, he said that he was like, I, if I say something, I'm going to incriminate, incriminate myself. 
So he they gave him limited immunity and he was prepared to give details about Anderson's obsession with stalking women and the plans to kidnap him. So he was concerned with the possibility that the former friend could concoct the story to place blame on him. So he didn't believe um, he didn't he, he didn't believe he committed a crime. He wasn't going to leave anything to chance, though, in case he misspoke because he's kind of an illiterate. So he's probably thinking, like, I don't want to accidentally say some shit. And then they're like, see, so but <laughs> I mean, he's been doing that the whole time, though. of course. But they what they also realized that Hammer had hot an alibi. He was at work all day. Yeah. So that was simple enough. So they but Hammer threw a wrench in it because then two weeks before he was supposed to go to trial, he got arrested. Um, now he, he was kind of like the guy that people were like, he seems like he's a cool dude. You know, he's like, he was like a, he was like funny and shit like that. Like, a like that type of person. But he had this like real, he'd had this, his own arrogance about him because there was an issue when he got arrested, he basically fired off rounds because, um, a police, a, a, a police, a pizza delivery person pissed him off. Okay. And so he, uh, was holding a submachine gun. Mm-hmm. This is hammer. This is how he got arrested. <laughs> he was getting a he was getting a pizza delivered. The delivery man was running late, which caused Hammer to be upset because he clearly he was hungry. And while he was drinking, you know, chilling at home, you know, he uh, when the police police uh, the pizza guy came or whatever, he started firing off a submachine gun. Now this is how you know he's crazy outside of him firing this machine this machine gun at a stranger. Like, if you're hungry, why would you order delivery? <laughs> go pick that shit up. Go get it. Order it and go get it. I like, promise go, you'll get it like 30 minutes. You can low-key, like, eat that shit in the car. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, just simply go get it yourself. Yeah. Delivery is a terrible reason. The worst way to do it. So, it spit out a shower of casings. <laughs> And it terrified the delivery man. And he hide, he hightailed it the fuck about it and called 911. So Hammer was taken into custody two weeks before he was supposed to testify. Um, so, of course, you know, now he's kind of like, oh, I'm kind of in trouble. I'm going to need some help. Duh. <laughs> I'm going to need a little help. But uh, he he's interesting because Hammer, even though he really didn't engage in any, anything, he was the one that had all these conversations with Anderson, these repeated discussions about tying women up and finding victims and all this other shit. So they needed him. He had entirely too many conversations with him about disposing a body, about dismembering a body, about scattering parts of a body, about burying it and burning it and throwing out the evidence along the road. And so he even said that Anderson had this idea about cutting off the hands, feet and head. Um, so it couldn't be identified at all through fingerprints or dental records. And then when Hammer finally did get to the stand, the prosecution case was solidified. They were like, this motherfucker is definitely going to go to jail. Now, here's the ninth thing. We got 10 here. We on the ninth one. The bondage board, quote, then came the climactic piece of final evidence, the bondage board. It was a heavy carpeted board with metal rings in two of the corners to which handcuffs could be 
attached. And when it was hauled in, a sense of anguish came over the courtroom. Their mere presence of the board came to life in a way more powerful than words alone. The horrors that were committed on it became visibly evident with every description of Anderson's unspeakable crimes. The sturdy square of wood dealt a final blow to Anderson's weak defense. The prosecution then requested that jurors be allowed to see the Bronco from which the bondage board was removed in hopes that this would help them visualize where the evidence was found. The judge, however, denied this and added that the state's case was very thorough and therefore nothing new would be gained from viewing the Bronco. The 10th piece of evidence was Glenn Walker, the other friend. Now, to put anxiety and pressure on Walker, the prosecution subpoenaed him, which meant he had to come to the trial. And as far as Walker knew, he may have been he may have to get up and testify. But the prosecution had no intention of calling him to the stand. It was a strategy to make him nervous and it worked. Throughout the proceedings, Walker became increasingly edgy and regarding his past deeds and hatched a plan to sidestep any potential charges he might face for his association with Anderson. Walker got himself a lawyer. Quote, just now, Glenn Walker can tell you where Larissa Dumansky is buried in exchange for immunity. Remember, this is what Anderson was worried about. What do you need for immunity? One time when me and Rob were out driving, he showed me a grove of trees where he buried Larissa. I can show you where it is. Nelson was ready with an immediate response. You didn't do anything illegal then. You don't need immunity. It's not against the law on your part if someone shows you where a body is buried. We would like to know where Larissa's body is, though, if you would be willing to tell us. He has duct tape and receipts and paint and handcuffs and bullet casings and blood and fibers and hair all hanging off of him. He covered with he's covered with evidence. It's taped on. This is what the prosecutor said. Several weeks after at his sentencing, July 18, 1997, one year after Piper went missing, Judge McMurchy imposed maximum life in prison. Anderson could make a statement and began by complaining that he didn't get a fair trial and complaining that he now accepted Jesus Christ. They always do. Mm-hmm. Yet moments later, he turned with scornful eyes to the prosecuting attorneys at the nearby table and said, I hope you rot in hell. Later, outside the courthouse and amid the flurry of questions with a half of dozen journalists and one inquiry stood out. What are your feelings about Anderson's final comment directed towards you? This is what the attorney said. He said, I may rot in hell, but it sure won't be for sending him to prison. I know that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. Okay. Why? This is uh, this is him. This is now this is Anderson's bitch ass. Mm hmm. Why would I do something like this? I am married very happily <laughs> to, to, to a very loving wife, very good looking and attractive wife. Okay. It's a fucking piece of shit. He also blamed <laughs> his attorneys for not bringing up what he considered inconsistencies at his trial. Quote, I'm not very happy with my attorneys. I expected more from them. Anderson's arrogance pe- reached a peak when he demanded that police find Popper's body which he presumed would prove his innocence as though he, uh, as though he were in charge of the case. Anderson added that he didn't want to hear any excuses from the investigators. He demanded that they do their job and find her body. This is how, you know, he's a nut. You know, you killed this woman, right? I'm like, uh, find her body. You literally put it there. Aiming some of the, some at the jury by saying he felt that there were too many females in the jury. Quote, anytime, This is Anderson. Anytime you discuss rape in front of a jury, 
that's a majority of women of women, women are offended by the remarks and they tend to believe things more. This is what he said. And he also still claimed at this point that he did not have a nine millimeter handgun. I'm like, okay, stop. We know it's yours. <laughs> like That's not even the biggest problem. It's not even the biggest problem. And nigga, there are people at the scene that literally know. So now they would later find Larissa's remains with Walker's help. In the end, the volunteers found a rib, fragments of a pair of blue jeans, including its leather patch, um, duct tape bones from an ankle and wrist with duct tape attached to them. 15, uh, 15 nine millimeter casings around the grave site, six nine millimeter slugs within the grave site, two Jersey gloves bleached by the sun, a white athletic sock with two foot bones inside two women's Dexter leather sandals, one with the toe bone inside. And it was fair less. It was far less than what they anticipated. They led to many, this led to many discussions about what happened to the rest of the remains. And one theory was that the animals scattered the bones from the shallow grave. Seriously. Now we're almost done guys. When in state pen, Anderson met a con man by the name of James, uh, Jeremy Bruner, who would have been, who Anderson uh, uh, would tell the details of the crime to with a plan to snitch so he could be released. So Jeremy Bruner just let Anderson talk to him and he ended up trying to like use his information so he can get out of jail. (laughs) Quote, in a detached way, as if he were reliving the crimes, Anderson shared his most guarded secrets, his eyes that moment, that moments prior were normal now have a faraway look of rapture. He began confessing intimate details about the murder of Piper and Larissa while Bruner took impeccable medical notes and maintained a poker face despite the overwhelming joy he felt inside at the fortunate opportunity into which he stumbled. He also explained his plan to have Walker killed because at this point he wants Walker killed because that motherfucker, you know, he don't fuck with him. Mm -hmm. Now here's the thing. Jeremy Bruner was a con man. He wasn't really a, um, he wasn't really a murderer. He was just a con man. And Jeremy Bruner had falsified his rap sheet because he was going to jail with a bunch of really, really hard dudes. And so he had somebody falsify his rap sheet to make it look like he did more than he did. So when, uh, when Anderson found out about Jeremy, he was like, how the fuck you, like I, I need to talk to you. Like how how did how do you how are you escaping? Because yo, I mean, how did you get such a like low charge? Like how are you like skating by on all these charges? But little did he know, Jeremy Bruner made those charges up. And so he goes. Everybody is so dumb. So dumb. He goes. Anderson goes, and he talks to Jeremy Bruner. Gives him confessing all of these details to him, talking about how he had planned on killing Walker. And Jeremy Bruner is sitting there like, uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they even hatched this like fake plan to kill Walker, you know, to do all this other shit. He does not want him to stop talking. And Anderson does not want to stop talking. He starts talking about the violent nature of the com- the crime combined with the fact that four children lost their mother was too much for even Bruner to stomach. He was like, this motherfucker is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So Anderson's perver- perversions removed him from the protective umbrella of the convict code and placed him in the same arena, generally reserved for prison prisoners, uh, prisoners who are outcasts like pedophiles. So Anderson was fair game at this point. So when Bruner went to the police, quote, 
You think you people think Anderson took that kid's tent to put Piper's body in, but you've got that wrong. There was a struggle in the house and Anderson's pistol went off. It shot a hole through the tent and into the floor. If you go back to the bedroom, you'll find a bullet hole in the floor under the carpet. He took the tent because it was a bullet hole through it and the gun and a gunpowder burn. Check it out. Then come back and see me. Oh, so he gave him a piece of ma- information because he they were like, well, how the fuck do we even how are we supposed to believe that, you know, anything that we need? Because you're trying to get out of jail. We don't know if any of this is true. And he said, well, bet that tent that y'all been looking for. So why did he take the tent? He took things? the tent because it had a bullet hole in it and gunpowder yeah, residue. He left all the rest of it. Yeah, but he didn't have time for it. He didn't have time to look for all the casings. Oh. So he just was like, well, he knew that he shot the tent. So he just took the whole fucking tent. So when they go back to the to the trailer, they found the bullet hole in the floor. They inserted a metal rod in the floor of the bedroom floor and the rod gave the exact angle the bullet traveled. They crawled under the trailer house and they used the stainless steel rod as a guide to determine where the, to search for the slug. And they found the slug, a nine millimeter slug. This made sense when combined with the information that Shana provided about a mean man coming back to the trailer and taking the tent. But well, also he used the nine millimeter that everyone's been talking about. Literally. Fucking it's literally the smoking gun. Um, it was later determined that he not only took the tent, but he also also his wristwatch broke during the struggle with Piper. Quote, once Anderson opened up and told me about the murders and rapes, he couldn't stop talking. He relished in reliving it. You could see it in his eyes and he talked about it over and over. Did he talk about any other murders or if he wanted to keep doing these things? He meant he didn't mention any other murders, but he said he learned a lot from getting caught. Anderson said that he got out of if he had got out of prison he would do it some more but would be smarter and not get caught he can't stop it in fact he told me that he had been focusing on prison a prison nurse and that she's pretty and would like to do her he even smirked and said both those women he raped said that their husbands were the only men they'd ever been with Anderson told me that if we both get out of prison, we could work together to rape women. I was sickened by the things he was telling me, but I got to play it. I had to play it cool and act hard. So Bruner handed over his hand drawn map to where the hidden items could be found because there were these hidden items that um, that uh, Anderson said were at his mom's house. And that was a huge break in the case because now with a search warrant and the map, the team of investigators headed to the house of Anderson's mother to look for physical evidence supposedly hidden in the ceiling. It took less than five minutes to find what they were looking for. Piper's wedding ring and Larissa's necklace had been woven together with the chain of the necklace looped several times around the ring. And the investigator removed each piece, allowed it to be photographed, then put it in a special evidence bag, which was labeled and not allowed to be touched by anyone else to limit the number of people who encountered it. And they repeated the same process with the nine millimeter gun and the clip and two pairs of handcuffs. Collectively, it was a mother load. They had their smoking fucking gun. So the judge agreed that Bruno was going to be released in mid November, 1997. Bruno was unfortunately <coughs> the perfect example of the expression. You can't change the spots on a leopard. He gained the respect of many people for what he was willing to do for justice. Um, he earned his freedom. However, he wouldn't be free for long in less than three weeks. Long received a call that Bruner sold 50 hits of LSD to an undercover narcotics officer. <laughs> that was a scam. <laughs> the drugs were analyzed and determined to be fake. 
and but this was still only a misdemeanor. Um, this was kind of a dilemma though, because he was arrested and charged with a probation violation. So should they look, uh, or should they actually like consider using him? Now it's like, now we got this other fucking thing. So the decision, they have to use him too, because he's a jailhouse snitch. So the decision was, (laughs) the decision was made to issue a warrant for Bruner's arrest and to try to revoke his probation. Um, the judge would send him back to uh, penitentiary, penitentiary where he would be at least alive and available for upcoming trials. So they're like, well, if he's going to go to jail, at least we know where he is. <laughs> they just needed him put away. Yeah. Now, the incident with the fake LSD could possibly have been smoothed over if Bruner had managed to be a model citizen while incarcerated. But unfortunately, he blew that chance before arriving to the sale because he was subjected to a strip search and they found that he had a small package of dope in one of his fat rows because he was real fat. Like, just stop with the drugs. Mm. And he had a half ounce of methamphetamine, which is which was enough to be considered a dealer. So Bruner, he would still testify against Anderson, though. And he explained that Anderson considered himself a serial killer because a serial killer keeps something from each of the victims. And so Anderson also said that it was exciting to do it and that it's exciting to make a total stranger do whatever you want them to do. So Anderson tried to go to intimidation tactics for fixing uh, or, or like he would try to look at Bruner real hard. But Bruner was like a big dude. He's like, motherfucker, please. <laughs> Now, he explained that Anderson threw Piper's body onto the front floorboard of the Bronco and placed a blanket over her. Then he boldly drove right through Sioux Falls with the body while en route to some private property where he previously had permission to go fishing along the Big Sioux River. He chose this spot because he wanted to place he wanted a place where there was no current to wash the body downstream. He carried her to the back wash cove where a log and debris jam had developed over the years and waded into the river, carrying her body and pushed it under some dead branches where the current would not be able to move her. This contrasted with what he told a cellmate from jail who reported that Anderson said she's down so deep. They'll never find her. He talks too fucking much. (laughs) Um, they made another important discovery as well. He looked at the tire poppers and they, f- they happened to glance at the bondage board. And at that moment it came to him that they had solved one of the min- mysteries, which was he picked up a tire popper, um, walked it over to the bondage board and placed it on where there was this like shadowy silhouette from where it had been spray painted. Uh-huh. And the device picked the device fit perfectly. So he had basically spray painted these like little, triangular spiky things to put on the road and he spray painted them gray probably so they can match the gravel i mean this is incredibly they're so dedicated yeah this is incredibly uh uh methodical so they compare the paint on the poppers to the paint on the bondage board they match to prove that the remains found at Lake Vermilion belonged to Larissa, the lab needed the DNA samples from her parents. But the problem was that her parents were, lived in Russia. So Bill uh, stepped in with a solution. Prior to the trial, he went to Russia, obtained the necessary blood samples for Larissa's mother and father. And Bill, he was taught how to draw the blood samples, which he did. When the DNA came back, 
left no doubt that the fragments indeed were Larissa's. During and now and Anderson now is on trial for murder. So during Anderson's murder trial, the prosecutors were not allowed to present certain evidence, which was Amy's testimony about her narrow escape on the dark highway. And the tire poppers were two of these. Why? Well, the ruling was that they were not directly related to Piper or Larissa's murders. This came to an end, ending the penalty phase and the uh, gloves were off for the prosecutors. So since Anderson had been found guilty of murder, the prosecutors and the defense could present evidence showing his character. The prosecution showed that he had tried to abduct other women and it allowed to, and if allowed to live would kill again. He was such an evil person that he indeed deserved death. So the jurors then heard Amy tell the terrible story of nearly falling victim to Anderson's plan to kidnap and rape her. Anderson took Piper right in front of her children and he made this very deviant plan over months and years, which is definitely first degree. Walker, the state hit him with a conspiracy to commit kidnapping of Larissa Dumansky, kidnapping and murder of Larissa Dumansky and conspiracy to commit kidnapping and murder of Amy Anderson, attempted kidnapping and attempted murder of Amy Anderson, an alternate count of conspiring to commit kidnapping and murder. Walker was indicted on August 18, 1998 and arrested within a week. He was considered an accessory to the Striley case due to leaving the tape recorded false alibi. He received a 30 year sentence, making him eligible for parole after 14. And Walker had de- was denied parole each time he became eligible. But due to good behavior, he served about half of his sentence and re- was released on Christmas Eve in 2015. Anderson would face charges for rapes and murders of Larissa and Piper at one trial. Anderson murdered Larissa and he also killed her unborn child. Forget that she was pregnant. I forgot about that. Because of the third life that was taken and the sadistic sexual overturns of his crime, people in the community began referring to Anderson as a serial killer. And on April 9th, 1999, Anderson was found guilty of both murders and sentenced to be put to death. Robert Leroy Anderson showed no pity for his victims and the jury in turn showed no pity for him. He would face the executioner's needle. They filed many appeals, but Anderson just ended on 23 hour lockdown Monday through Friday and 24 hour lockdown on the weekends. And then on on March 30th, 2003, Anderson committed suicide. I was going to say he stayed alive that long. Yep. He committed suicide at state penitentiary. He, they, now, mind you, they were checking his uh, room every 15 minutes, but he hung himself with his bed sheet. I'm surprised he lasted that long. So, oh, that is the duct tape killer. He was fucking nuts. Yeah. He was truly nuts. He was a cool, he was a dodo bird. Not a dodo bird. He, I mean, he literally, you know, his plan to do all that he done is what, you know, and, and the, the, the fact that he was so just like, I don't care. I don't, I don't give a fuck. He knew so many sick ass people. Yeah. That just went along with whatever he wanted. Yeah. Like what kind of mind control shit is that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm hungry as fuck, y'all. Um, this is our two-hour episode on the duct tape killer. I hope you enjoyed it or learned something. And we will be back next week for our final episode. And I'm going to make it good and juicy for you. Um, 
<laughs> and we'll, you know, we'll we'll drink that time. Uh, we didn't drink this time. So I hope oh, you man. enjoyed it. Oh. And I wanted to, I was going to do, you know, bust it into a two-parter. But since I was on a row, I was like, let's just keep this train going. So it's a little, it's, it's 40 minutes over what it usually is. That's not too bad. I mean, we spent 30 minutes of it talking. That's true, too. Yeah, that's true, Otherwise, too. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have been. Yeah, it probably, it probably would have been on time. So, um, yeah, because we also didn't have like a lot of unnecessary commentary because we got that out in the beginning. So, so yeah, so I will see you next week for um, the final episode for season one of Sweater Junk. I'm not Gizzard. What? <laughs> and here we are with my nose itching again. So I'll see you all in two weeks for Bye-bye. another. Bye.